Jersey. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. We are live on a Monday edition of the Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN here at the Gallery Bar Book and Games at Ocean Casino Resort. The full team is here. I'm your host, Mike Gill. Ryan Rothstein rides shotgun today. Our on-site producer. Where are the flyers at there? Oh, yeah. Danny Ryan, who... That's that time. He wasn't even a... He said I didn't even watch hockey. I'm Not turning into a hockey guy as we speak. Hockey guys wow. He's got a hat. I'm involving in front of your eyes. It was between that wow. and the Philadelphia Wings hat today for Danny Ryan. <laughs> Josh Henning is producing today's show. You out there. Uh, Eagles are interviewing defensive coordinators. Another name just popped on my screen. Ron Rivera has been reported earlier in the day. And now Mike Caldwell, the former Jaguars defensive coordinator, he will be interviewing with the Philadelphia Eagles as well as they look for defensive coordinators. They fired Sean Desai yesterday. Uh, Matt Patricia has decided that he will not stay with the organization. <laughs> and today there is a report out there from Derek Gunn who says that Brian Johnson will no longer be here. All of this seems to be pointing, right to yeah. Nick Sirianni. Now, they're going out of their way to say that Sirianni was the guy who delivered the news. So we got a lot of Sirianni stuff here, but both coordinators look like they are out, and it looks like veteran names are on the way potentially in. So was Nick Sirianni's meeting, his ploy, his plea of, hey, let me stay and we'll get some veteran guys around me and that will fix this thing. And did Jeffrey Lurie say that's exactly what I wanted to hear? My goodness, I tell you what, if and when he's out of the NFL at Nick, Sir- Nick Sirianni at any point, he's going to be a great salesman because he obviously sold the heck out of himself to Jeffrey Lurie. I, I don't, I'm not intrigued by the names, and we're going to hear a thousand more names, but I'm sorry. Riverboat Ron ain't moving the needle for me, dude. You're out on Ron. I'm out on Ronnie, boy. I'm sorry, not sorry. Here's the latest from Adam Schefter. Roseman and Sirianni will hold a end-of-season press conference on Wednesday. All signs point to Sirianni returning. While changes to the staff are expected, there isn't expected to be one at the top. Sirianni has averaged 12 wins per year in Philadelphia. He helped lead the Eagles to the Super Bowl. That was tweeted about an hour ago from Adam Schefter. So it looks like the hierarchy will be Sirianni is the head coach and two new coordinators, and that's how they're going to roll moving forward. How does everybody feel about that? Now, you said you're out on Ron Rivera. Mike Caldwell's a name. You're going to see, like, a lot of names have already. Wink Martindale's name has come out. It sounds like they are going with not the new young mind. Mm -hmm. They are going to go with someone who has established themselves. And they sound like if we give Nick a more veteran staff, that he can be the CEO and let those guys run their units. That's the only thing I've really approved of from all these rumors, right? But what what option do they have, MG? They they could fire the the coach. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm talking about keeping Sirianni. What option do they have if they keep him, which seems like they are, to go about the hiring process with the coordinators, meaning they have to get experience surrounding him. After the disaster that we just witnessed, you can't bring in two new 
quote-unquote up-and-comers. Right, you need veteran yeah, guys well, that can I, carry him. I, I agree, Ryan. I don't see there was a scenario where Sirianni was going to come back and his next coordinator was going to be a guy with no experience. Like, I just don't see how that was going to fly. So the question really was, does Jeffrey Lurie sit there and say, let me hear it, what do you got for me? Yeah. And he says, hey, listen, I hired Desai last year. That didn't work, but let me bring in, and I'll just make up a name, you know, Phil Monteleone. He's a hot, a hot, bright young mind, yeah, yeah. and he worked with the Green Bay Packers. He was like their uh, great pull by assistant you. linebackers coach. Yeah. I don't think Lori was going to say, "All right, that's a great idea." I think this had to be. Listen, I get it. We brought in Desai. That was a mistake. I'm ready to move on from this defense. And if there's a veteran out there that we want to target, let's bring him in. But what's the plan, right? So, what's the plan? One of my questions. My other question is, what was swirling through Jeffrey Lurie's head going into that meeting? Was Nick Sirianni on the fence and Nick Sirianni won him over? Because I think that's baloney if that happened, right? Because you can throw all the names at Jeffrey Lurie you you want to, but it doesn't mean you're getting that guy. Yeah, I asked the question on Friday. Did Lurie go into that meeting with a decision in his mind of which way he was leaning? Like, I'm going to fire this guy and move on. And this guy's going to have to blow my socks off. But what could he have said, MG, in that meeting to say, wow, (laughs) wow, you know what? NVM, I'm keeping you, bro. So you think that he went into that meeting wanting to keep him? I I would hope so. I don't want him to stay, but now that he's seemingly unofficially officially staying, I hope that he wasn't swayed just by some words. You have to look at the big picture here. I will say this, though. Okay, sometimes you want to hear the person admit 100% that like so if Lori said their mistakes and be on the same page with what went wrong well, and how you're going to fix if, it. If Lori said, look, I want to hear him say, I need some help and I screwed up. Exactly. Sometimes you're just wanting to hear that from somebody. It's like, hey, I like That's this great. guy. I like this guy, but I need to hear him admit that he needs help. And if he can't admit that he needs help, then his pride is in the way, and i got to get rid of him. And I can't help him if he doesn't admit it. Exactly. I'm giving you the opportunity to say, I need help. You know, it's like an addict here. Hey, I need help. I need help. Can you please help me? And this is him saying, look, I, I, I need more veteran people around me. I I hear what you're saying, and, you know, we're just speculating. If that was the case, great. You know, maybe he said the right things. I'm sure he did say the right things. He's good at doing that. That's one thing he's good at doing is knowing what to say and knowing what people want to hear. So, okay, um, you you passed the first test. But my big thing, and I'm running before we walk, but what's the game plan next year? Okay, let's say you hire Stink Martindale and you hire – um, you know, Joey Smith as OC. Wait a second here. <laughs> You're telling me you don't think if the Eagles hire Wink Martindale, yeah. the fan base will be ecstatic. Until he gives up a 30-piece. Well, he'll blitz 58% of the time. Uh, yeah. Well, so you can get shredded by the blitz. As long as you do blitz, the fans will be supportive. I, I know. They'll That's love it. That's the ultimate hire for this team. They can say, you guys complained about not blitzing. We hired a guy that blitzes. Well, it's the ultimate hire for the fan base. Yeah. Is it the ultimate hire for the team? Is it going to translate to success? Well, it I depends. Mean, what kind of personnel? Have. Like, all right, let me ask this question. I thought about this as I watched the, 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 the games all weekend. Yeah. But specifically the game yesterday. 
The Eagles played Kansas City and Buffalo in back-to-back weeks within a six-day span. Six days. And they beat both of them. Did you watch that game last night and say, my God, this is why the Eagles, they are so far away from these two teams. They Now, mind you, they beat both of them. Mm-hmm. Do you watch the game and any of the games this weekend? But that one specifically because they did play them and beat them both and say they are so far away. I feel like they're miles away. But it's frustrating when you bring up that point, and I was talking about it with my my family as well. Like, can you believe in a six-day span the Eagles beat both these teams? But I don't feel like that's the Eagles we have. I know it's not the Eagles we have. I asked that question. Right. Because if you're bringing in a Wink Martindale, a veteran Ron Rivera, Mm -hmm. Mike Caldwell, these are the names that are being thrown out there. Now, one of the names that was thrown out has already been hired. Former Atlanta defensive coordinator Ryan Neeson is going to Jacksonville to go with uh, Doug Peterson. Love that. So he is now off the table. But all the names so far are guys you've heard of, guys who have credibility, guys who have a background. But do you look at the team right now and say, if you just bring in a stronger group of coaches, that that will reclose the gap and get them back on the level of where all these teams are playing this weekend? So... I'll answer, and I want to throw a question back to you. I, 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 I was critical of the coaching staff the whole year, particularly when the downfall started to really get you know escalate quickly. But you have to wonder now, now that we're officially in the Eagles' off season, at least you have to wonder: Is it Jalen Hurts? This team has been running, and I don't believe that, but I think it's a fair question. This team has been running a college offense, and all of a sudden. On the drop of a, a hat, whatever that phrase is, okay, this team went from dominant. Drop of a dime. Drop of a dime. There you go. Uh, this team went from dominant to they can't get a first down, right? So what can Jalen Hurts do differently, right? And what is a new guy going to do that's going to improve all this? That's my point. That's the question that I'm nervous about. Well, let me ask you this. Fair or foul? The personnel they have on offense, okay? Yeah. Where do you think they need to improve? Well, I, I think. I mean, offensive uh, line has a ton of question marks. Obviously, a receiver. Well, let's, let's do that. Okay, so Milata, he's back. Yeah. Is that a problem? No. No. Dickerson. No, it's not a problem. All right, Jurgens at center. I, mean, uh, I think, I don't know, you watched Kelsey yesterday. Is that him saying, I'm retired? Or is that him saying. <laughs> I think he just needs to have fun and take a chill pill. <laughs> I think he, he could be back, honestly. I, mean, I watched that yesterday. Now, of course, it's you know his brother says on the podcast. Yeah, he could. Of course, he has another year left him if he wants. I don't yeah. think that's a question that anybody has. No, but does he want it? Does he want to play again? And does the new coordinators play a factor in his decision? And you know, there's a lot of things that we don't know <laughs> that that went down behind closed doors. Okay, so what if I said the offensive line was exactly the same? Kelsey comes back. Jurgens is at right guard. Lane Johnson. So. You feel fine there. Yep. You got AJ Brown and Smith and Goddard and Hertz, and you're going to need a new running back. I don't think you think Swift is back. I do not. He wants to come back. Now, I don't know what that means, right? Does he take less money to stay home? He said he absolutely loved playing home. It's something that not a lot of guys get to do. Well, you know the Eagles aren't going to pay him. No, they're not. So that's my point. Does he want to take it? At, you know, a big discount? Probably not. That'd All right. Be stupid. So th- all that. 
I would imagine one of the things you got to target this off. But even okay, that's it. You're bringing well, that me, back, and you just have a different coordinator. What's you, the biggest question? Well, their questions are on defense. No, on offense. If you have to pick one, well, I think the biggest question is based on the well, is is Kelsey back? I don't think the center is the, the biggest question, dude. I don't know. Man. All right. I mean, let's let's look. You have to you have to classify it as offensive line as a whole. He's pretty wide important. receivers. No, but this team is not. Come on, if Jurgens is a solid replacement, if all, everything else is working as it should, this team is a Super Bowl contender. I think the biggest question I'll answer it is the quarterback. Because what if it is Jalen? What Fair. if he can only run that system and that system has run its course? Fair. Fair. I think that is the biggest question. Well, if you watch the quarterbacks that are in now still playing, Brock Purdy, who did not have a great game yesterday, but I'll tell you what, when push came to shove, he made a couple throws in some moments of that game that you're saying, man, I wish my guy could make that throw. Yeah. Jordan uh, Love looks really good. Jordan Love was swinging it all weekend long. Goff, I mean, everybody laughs at him, but he's he made, resurrected. He's, yeah. made, he's had some moments. And then, of course, the other two guys, you know, Lamar Alan. is playing check, chess and everybody else is playing checkers uh, and, and Mahomes. But. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I I think your 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 question is fair. And for me, I'm asking Nick Sirianni. Which we go back to that meeting they had. My first question is, what's the plan on offense? Okay, who's the guy that you want to target or guys? And what's the system that you think is best? Because I don't know if it's the system we've been running. Well, there had been some thought that they could be looking into some West Coast offensive coordinators. All right. I don't know. Would you ultimately say? Um, would you ultimately say if they just simply change coordinators and brought back the same personnel? Now the running back's going to be different, but I don't know. Is the running? I mean, you, you were went to the Super Bowl with Miles Sanders, and I think a lot of people like Swift better than Sanders. I'm not really one of those people, but I think most people did. Yeah, I mean Sanders had a good year. I'm not sold on Sanders long term. I, I don't. I'm not but, either. I'm just yeah. saying. Like, I think my point is, you, you can, can plug get Sanders in there. You can put Swift in there. You can find somebody else and put them in there. That guy's probably going to run for a thousand yards. And it, I mean, I would say this next hire for offensive coordinator is one of, if not the biggest hires in Lori's career. Well, I would say you're right because it it essentially pivots. From what they are now to the next phase of their offense with the quarterback now hitting the big part of his contract. So if you have this quarterback on this contract, this offensive coordinator him better go hand in hand because I don't want to keep hearing. Well, now this is his six different coordinator in going back to college. He had a different one every year. And now they have another one and then another one. And then, you know, he finally had his best year yeah. when he was Steichen for two years in a row. Right. So that's the thing here. It's like. What's what's the system, and what if it doesn't start to work, right? And, and I say that because then what do you do with Sirianni? What if the Eagles start out, for, you know, not start out, but they're four and ten? Oh, do you I do? Mean, do we say all right? Sirianni's the guy. He's like, gone. He's right, he's gone. So then, who's the OC? Can he step in? Right, like this guy. This hire is monumental for this franchise. Offensive coordinator. Forget DC. I know it's important, but OC is the biggest hire for me. I'm not. I'm not pushing back on that. I, I would right. say because, well, and, and there's for two reasons: one, because of the quarterback and this contractual situation, and two, what does that mean for Sirianni's role in the offense? Well, what is his? Are role? they essentially <laughs> saying now we tried your offense, it had success, but 
It never evolved, and it's time to move on. But we like you as the leader in the locker room. Right. That That's, to me, if we're keeping them, that is the only way to go about it. But uh, do you have a problem with that? I, I don't. And I would tell you why. Like, look at this weekend, okay? Uh, Joe Banner went out of his way. And I know this is a conversation we're going to get into. Mm-hmm. Joe Banner went out of his way on Twitter today to say, hey, two of the four coaches came from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Andy Reid and Harbaugh. They came from Andy Reid. Yeah. That's how I would phrase it. You know, I, I know I'm, you know. Well, but that's, I mean, that's just <laughs> that the, way, is one that's of the, the way it is. Is yeah. When you have a coach, they start to pluck, like, a couple of years from now, we might say, look at these coaches. They came from Philadelphia, and it could be Shane Steichen. You know, and well, Jonathan Gannon, and yes. it could be uh, other coaches that that kind of bloom off of that tree. But yes. his point is kind of, but my point with Harbaugh is, Harbaugh does not, he was the special teams coach here. He is does not have anything to do with offense, defense, nothing. He is the ultimate CEO coach. Well, he was special teams coach here when they had a star-studded coaching staff. Right, I mean, his, they had studs at head coach at OC, at D.C. Regardless of why he was, that was his background when he got hired. So, he, But he is, does not call plays. He does not have anything to do with the defense. Mm-hmm. He is basically the CEO coach. Yes, but he has clearly shown us that he is excellent at that role. He knows how to pick the guys around him. He knows how to manage them, coach them. He knows what he wants game plan-wise, okay. systems. And scheme. this will lead us into our next conversation. Yes. Are the Eagles telling us the same thing about Sirianni? And should we give them the benefit of the doubt that they know that, that they are good at that? That's the question. Right? Yes, that is the question. And, and, okay, so I said this on Friday, and obviously you weren't on with me Friday. I was not. Okay. The Eagles, since the year 2000, really the Andy Reid era when it started, have – the second most playoff wins of any team in football. But when you look around the league, how many front office executives and coaches around this league have been poached from the Eagles? And my point on that is, as much as we bitch and moan and complain, and this guy's a puppet, and Reed, I mean, uh, and Roseman and Laurie, they're too involved, the league is saying, no. That team does something, and we want to know what they're doing. So we keep hiring their front office executives. We keep interviewing their coaches. We keep hiring their coaches. What other team in football loses more front office people and more coaches in the last I mean, it's unbelievable. Every year the Eagles seem to lose two front office executives. So we're (laughs) complaining about how hands-on they are and why do they get to make these decisions. And the league is saying the Eagles do it right. We want we want guys who have been groomed in that system. There's two ways to look at it. I agree with what you're saying, but let me just go glass half empty here. You bring in Andy Reid. He has a 14-year run where he builds this dynasty to what it is. Mm-hmm. He is why the Eagles are what they are. Andy Reid, sure. bottom line. So you can take all the credit in that time away from Howie and, and Jeffrey Lurie, if you want, and put it on Andy. I well, think that's fair. You could also give Lurie the credit, though, for taking the chance on Andy and hitting. Sure, but Andy Reid built this team, right? Like, you have to give Lurie some credit. I hear you. But all the all the grunt work was from Andy Reid is my point. Just bear with me. You bring in Chip Kelly, massive failure. You escaped from that, luckily. 
the next guy ends up winning you your first Super Bowl in franchise history, you fire him. And now you bring in Nick Sirianni, and here we are with all these open, vacant job postings and a guy at head coach that we don't know what he is. So, yeah, you're right. It has worked up to this point, but this is a scary time right now. It does not mean they're automatically going to get it right now. That's my point. Well, listen, there's no guarantee that you're ever going to just get it right. And you would say, hey, look, if I have ten cracks to hire people, I might hit on seven of them. There's going to be three times, even Mm -hmm. though I'm really good at it, there's going to be three times I make a mistake. Yes. But I do think that we should be giving the Eagles the benefit of the doubt when they have these decisions to make. So should Whether we... we like the way the process works or not. Look, this is the NFL today. The GMs all over the league are basically the coaches in all sports all around the league are I mean how much do we complain about Rob Thompson well he don't even make the lineup the lineup's given to him the managers the coaches they're all answering to the GMs the GMs and the front offices and the analytics they run these teams and the coach now I think the football coach has a lot yeah, more it's not the same. than uh, but still in these instances shouldn't we be giving the Eagles the benefit of that haven't they said look we had Andy Reid we let him go we won a Super Bowl we let the Super Bowl guy go we went back to the Super Bowl no, Trust us. you're a more trustworthy guy than I am because I would pose this question or statement, however I want to phrase it here, shouldn't have fired Andy Reid, shouldn't have fired Doug Peterson. And now look where you're at. And are, should we assume and Andy trust? Reed hard, man. I, I, I know it is, dude. I know it is. Easier I, I listen, said than done. But I was not a Reid hater, and I didn't want to fire Reid, but I certainly understood. Like He's the greatest coach of all time. The sun dies, and that the team falls apart. It just felt like, listen, it's not like I hate you. I don't, but it, it's just time. I, I felt like it was a good, it was, it was the right time. Yeah, I believe me. He's been, this is his 11th championship game appearance. It's fair to, uh, it's fair to pose Six the question. In a row. Dude, yeah. It's fair to pose the question, should they have fired Andy Reid? And should they have fired Doug Peterson? And now, are we safe to assume they're just going to pick up all the pieces that are scattered all over the floor right now? Well, listen, I would think the Doug Peterson question would have a lot more to the Peterson side if his team didn't just implode this year. He, come on, he's done an excellent job down there picking up that Urban Meyer mess. Oh, he got him to the playoffs last year, but then he had a team with expectations this year, and they were 8-3 and and didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, I know, but I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and say he's done a bad job down there. Let's see what he does next year, but I hear you. It's fair. Uh, Should we be giving the Eagles the benefit of the doubt with the way they're handling this coaching search? They're going to keep Sirianni, it looks like. He's going to talk on Wednesday with Howie Roseman. But they're going to hire two new coordinators, and it looks like they're going to be veteran-laden coordinators. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City jumps on board with us next. By the way, Sixers tonight, your first look at the number one overall pick, Victor Wambanyama, who uh, the Spurs aren't so good. No, but he certainly is. Back with more Sports Pass live from the Gallery Bar Book and Games at Ocean Casino Resort on 97.3 ESPN. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. Hi, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic Cities here. It's the Sports Bash live at the Gallery Bar Book and Games at Ocean Casino Resort. Mike Gill, Ryan Rothstein, our on-site producer, Danny Ryan. we got five from Danny Rye in one hour from now, so stick around for that. 
So, Mike McGarry, the last time we talked, we were waiting to see what was going to happen with Nick Sirianni. He is going to talk on Wednesday with Howie Roseman. I would imagine that is an indication that he is staying. Now, we're starting to hear that the Eagles and Nick Sirianni specifically is calling Ron Rivera, Mike Caldwell, some veteran names. So do you think that Sirianni won his uh, interview on Friday? Yeah, I mean, he's still here, right? So I think they wanted to hear a plan from him uh, on how he would uh, improve what happened this season and not let what happened this season happen again. And they, and they liked what they heard. Or he came to an agreement with them on a way to proceed going forward. And it's probably the best, um, you know, the best thing to do, right? I mean, when you look at Sirianni and the success he's had, I think he deserved at least one more season to kind of correct what went wrong. You know, I think his resume the past three seasons, the three playoff berths, the Super Bowl berths, has kind of earned him a chance to sort of correct it. But I don't think there's any doubt that he's on the hot seat and, uh, you know, he's coaching for his job next season. Do you agree with that plan? Because I, I don't know if I do, Mike McGarry, because I look at this and I say, all right, he's on the hot seat going into next year. I agree with that. But you're bringing in all these new coaches again in crucial positions that are going to essentially, in an ideal world, carry Nick Sirianni. I mean, you got to give that that process time, don't you? Like, if you're going to keep him and bring in two new guys at OC and DC, how is his leash still short? You, you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you make sense of all this? Yeah, I, I see it still being a short leash, but I think that's just, you know, uh, unfortunately, that's what happens when you go from 10 and 1 to what, you know, happened yeah. this season, right? So I, I don't think there's any way around it. And, you know, time moves quickly in the NFL. So I think his past three seasons or his three seasons body of work earned him another year. But if they go seven and ten or eight and nine, um, you know, that's not going to work. And I think it'll be interesting to see. You see them talking to some uh, veteran names on the defensive side of the ball, right? Maybe they're going to try to bring in some older coaches, kind of balance out Sirianni a little bit, and then maybe bring in a young guy on the offensive end of the um, you know, spectrum there, maybe have a more well-rounded coaching staff. You know, I don't think there could be any surprise here that changes needed to be made and changes in the staff needed to be made, and then the two they needed two new coordinators. So basically this is just about how, you know, uh, short of getting rid of Sirianni, this is a, uh, what needed to be done. Yeah, and, and I said to Gil in the opening segment a few minutes ago that this offensive coordinator hire – in my opinion, is the biggest hire in this franchise's history or Jeffrey Lurie's career, however you want to phrase it, because it's just so instrumental to get the right guy, get the right system in place for Jalen Hurts. And I'll, I'll end with this, and I want your thoughts. Is this an overreaction or not an overreaction? Jalen Hurts isn't what we thought he was. Well, he wasn't what we thought he was this season, but can he get back to that uh, where he was last season? Absolutely. And is the offensive coordinator's almost sole job is going to be measured by how Jalen Hurts plays and are we going to see the Jalen Hurts that we saw last season? You know, they've given Jalen Hurts, you know, a quarter of a billion dollars he is the most important asset the franchise has right now, and finding a coach who can maximize Jalen Hurts' ability 
that's the, that's the answer to the problem right here, right? So, yeah, yeah that offensive coordinator has got to get in here just because of the money you invested in, in Jalen Hurts. If Jalen Hurts turns out not to be the guy that we all thought he was, then the Eagles have a big, big problem because by a, a miraculous picking of Hurts in the second round, they survived the Car- Carson Wentz disaster. I don't know if a franchise can uh, survive giving two quarterbacks a quarter of a billion dollars and having both of them not work out. Speaking of Carson Wentz, Mike McGarry, uh, Joe Santa Laquita, who wrote an article about Wentz a couple of years ago and got ripped for it, and then it turned out eh, maybe he, he was wasn't wrong, right. <laughs> right. has an article out today that essentially is saying many of the same things about Jalen Hurts. He was described as detached, stoic, isolated, and unapproachable. So, should we give Mr. Santa Laquita the benefit of the doubt this time? And hearing that, do you worry about Jalen Hurts? Yeah, first of all, uh, we give Joe absolutely the, the benefit of the doubt. He was, you know, took a lot of grief when he wrote that story about Carson Wentz, and, and he turned out to be correct, too. So, why would we doubt his sources now? I do think, Mike, what we're seeing now is what happens when a team goes through, you know, a losing streak, right? Or things aren't going well. Now you hear some sniping about the quarterback. You've heard some sniping about Sirianni's maturity. You hear some stuff about different players and stuff like that. I think this is just the natural fallout of having a season fall apart the way it did. Now, some of the things in the article, I mean, I'm not in the locker room. I'm not in the building. But, yeah, Jalen Hurts' body language towards the end of the season on the sidelines and in games, he certainly looked detached from afar. So, you know, it wouldn't be hard-pressed if someone told me he was detached in the building to for me to agree with that or say I could see that scenario. So, again, you talk about that offensive coordinator coming in, re-engaging Hurts, getting him back on, back on the right track right now. But I think a lot of what we're seeing right now – it's just the natural fallout of what happens when you end a season the way the Eagles did. All right, I want to ask the question, Mike, that we've been kind of discussing. Should we give the Eagles decision makers the benefit of the doubt? Have they proven over time? You know, they found Andy Reid. Andy left. Um, they hired Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson went to Super Bowl. They fire him. They hire Sirianni. He gets them back to the Super Bowl. And on top of that... They've had how many front office executives hired from Philly to go to another place? How many times does an assistant coach? So whatever the Eagles seem to be doing, their blueprint, the NFL seemingly wants to kind of follow. So with that, should we give them the benefit of the doubt? Yeah, I mean, I think they've earned the benefit of the doubt to try to fix the problem that was created by uh, this season or the end of this season. And not only that, all the stuff you mentioned, this is a franchise that's had, you know, we talked about it the other day. How many down seasons since the year 2000? Uh, Not many, not many at all. This is a team that's been to, you know, two of the last seven Super Bowls, won a Super Bowl. So, yeah, this group gets to sort of fix the problem and, and to me gets the benefit of the doubt uh, you know, going forward, basically, because of their past track record. And it's almost, you know, 24, 25 years now uh, of, 
pretty much constant success or constant contention in the NFL. And just look in your own division uh, where you have two teams, the Giants and the Commanders, that have struggled uh, greatly the past couple of years. So, yeah, to me, there's no doubt about it that Roseman, Laurie, uh, they deserve a chance to sort of fix the situation or the benefit of the doubt to fix the situation based on their past track record. They get the benefit of the doubt until they don't get it anymore, and that's, you know, after you have a couple of losing seasons in a row. I, I agree with you. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. I love Howie. I think he's the goat at, you know, ro- roster construction, contracts, all everything, right? I don't need to explain it. But you can't help but wonder, is this how they should be running the organization, all right? Like, what other organization is run like this? The only one I can think of is the Dallas Cowboys, and I don't want to be anything like the Dallas freaking Cowboys, Mike McGarry. So I, I just – I guess I just have that fear in the back of my mind. Is that fair? I, I mean, I think there's a lot of, and I'll let you answer too, Mike, but I think most teams have, I know we don't look at it as a collaboration, but I think most teams, it's more of a collaboration than a puppet. Yeah, I mean, to me, and in all sports are kind of run top down as a collaboration. You know, the coach is kind of middle management these days, and, and I think that's, the case with a lot of NFL teams, and I think that's the case with a lot of baseball teams and basketball teams. I think it's run from the front office down. I don't like the word puppet. Like, are any of us puppets at our jobs? We all have bosses, right, that we have to answer to and do what they say and, and, and make, you know, work to achieve their goals, but we do it in, our, in their own way. And I just think the era of the big-time football coach, the, the Bill Parcells, you know, uh, the, the Joe Gibbs, guys who came in and ran the whole show, I really think that's an era that that's over, basically. It might have ended with Bill Belichick leaving New England, basically. He might have been one of the few last guys. But I still think, you know, you're running the organization from the front office down. I just think that's the way things are done in professional sports today. Uh, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City is here. Uh, the Eagles will have a press conference with Roseman and Sirianni on Wednesday. Uh, names are coming out. Ron Rivera, uh, Wink Martindale. You know the fans would love Wink here, wouldn't they? <laughs> well, they love the Blitz. So if you want a Blitz, Wink's your guy, basically. Right. You know? and, and now some offensive coordinator names are also uh, Frank Reich. Um, was one of them. Um, I haven't seen a lot because Brian Johnson apparently is not going to make it either. Um, but obviously, it, it seems that they're going more of the veteran route than than you know letting uh, him kind of uncover somebody new. So we'll see. Because my the and the reason I bring that up is is it as simple like when you watch the games this weekend? Now it's so hard because of the way they ended the season. But is it as simple as hey, if we just get some better coaching in here? that this team can get back and compete right away next year? Well, I think that's the plan, right? They have the pieces. They have the quarterback. They have the receivers. They have, you know, uh, they're going to lose some offensive linemen, but they've got some offensive linemen back. They've got supposedly young talent on defense that, that might get better, might be able to improve. I think the biggest question for Wednesday, I think, is just, how and I think this is the biggest issue going forward is how much of a hot seat is is Sirianni on basically is he just got a short leash is it next year a make or break season for him and if he does that what sort of confidence are the assistant coaches and the players 
going to have in him. You know, if, if the Eagles start one and three next year or one and four or two and four, do they check out because they sense that Sirianni is done? Or does the organization have to do something like, I don't know, extend his contract by a year to make him a little bit more secure or give him a little bit more authority? So that's the biggest issue, I think, for the Eagles going forward is, you know, how much, you know, belief is, does the organization have in Sirianni? And, and if things don't go great at the start of next season, you know, what's to prevent the players from kind of checking out and assuming that Sirianni's gone? You know, what, what is exactly his future with the organization? Is he coaching for his job? next year all right wednesday that press conference and mike mcgarry will be back here on the sports pass live on 97.3 espn thanks mike all right thanks guys see you down the road uh, there's thanks. mike mcgarry from the press of atlantic city right here right here on the sports pass live 97.3 espn so much to kind of try to put together here they're gonna hire a new defensive coordinator that we know there has been reports that Brian Johnson will be gone. We kind of figure that. Who could be next in the pipeline there? Looks like Sirianni gets to keep his job. Is that fair or unfair? Do you guys trust the Eagles to make this decision? Do we Six- trust the process? There you go. 609-403-0973. Text board is open. We've got a lot of text. We'll read and react. McMullen at 3. 5 from Danny Rye. Casey Joyner, one thought every game tonight at 530 and you guys out there on the Sports Bash, live from the Gallery Bar, booking games at Ocean Casino Resort on 97.3 ESPN. It's with Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm surprised to bring them back for this reason. The infrastructure there, whether it's Lurie, Howie, they believe, and with good reason, they're always delivering a really good roster to the coach. And if anything gets sort of broken in that that chain towards the Super Bowl, it's on the coach. And so I'm looking at this roster and I'm saying, strong across the lines, good talent everywhere. Maybe there's some scheme issues there, but it's on you to figure it out. They never figured it out. That was ESPN's Kevin Clark earlier today. They never figured it out is right. It's the most perplexing thing. They never figured it out. And I can't understand... I've never seen an NFL team that was really bad at something one week and it was something that perpetually continued to get worse and worse and worse. Look, there's some teams that just aren't good. They, they, they have deficiencies in some area. Yeah, but this team. wasn't a season-long issue. Right. This was a six-week issue. That's the if you told You're me ten look, and one right if you told me all year long this team was just a horrible team against the Panthers all right well they just didn't have the talent no this team was dreadful for six weeks and highly competitive so much so Rye yeah that they had the most wins in the entire league this year against playoff teams make it make sense man make it make sense you know you. I saw you tweet something after the Eagles lost that was spot on. I'm trying to find it, but it ties into everything that we're talking about, where you said the first question that Nick Sirianni needs to be asked. You, oh, do yeah. you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, do you, do you have it? The first question of the press conference needs to be, Nick, did the players quit on you or was your team that unprepared? Right. And I thought that was spot on because that, like, that's the bottom line. And if I'm Jeffrey Lurie, that's the first question that I should, he needs to be asked. Right. Because it, that's the question. And depending on the answer, 
that should be our confidence level moving into next year. Uh, Tom and Davila says, if you need to bring in a veteran coordinator on both sides of the ball to make your head coach successful, why keep the coach? And that's yeah. definitely a point of view. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I can see saying, I'm not saying that that's crazy talk, but I can hear like what McGarry said. Look, the guy's had a ton of success. He averages 12 wins a year. They've been to the playoffs. They went to the Super Bowl. They've been to the playoffs three straight years. So if you can get more experienced, better coaches around them, do you just want to cut ties with a guy who's had a lot of success? In spite of the fact that for six games they looked incompetent. I, I, I think the question is, one, let's let's dial it back on a lot of success, MG. It's been three seasons. And the first year wasn't great. Well, and, uh, yeah, but the first year wasn't great. They went from four wins to nine wins in the playoffs. I think that he far exceeded everybody's expectation that season. He did. And then went from nine wins, wild card, to the number one seed in a Super Bowl. Yes. And then this year, 11 wins back to the playoffs. It obviously ended miserably. So if you take the last six games out and just you look can't, at though. I understand you can't. that. I'm just saying. But my point is, you're saying it was only three years. In that three-year window, outside of six games, he had a ton of success. He did, but a half a season where it was arguably the most infamous half a season that we've ever witnessed mm-hmm. – that holds a lot of weight, is my point, I agree. out of three well, years. I would say this. It holds so much weight that a guy who had the amount of success that he had was this close to being fired, which is unprecedented. A guy with the success that he had in the resume was about to be fired based on six games. We've never seen that before. No, but we've never seen that those six games go down how they went down. And con- Totally agree. Context matters, man. You have... And OC and DC, the Super Bowl year, that are now good head coaches in the NFL. Right, but to answer that guy's question, if you need to bring in people, why do you need the head coach? Well, I think they're looking at the sample size outside the, the six games as to the answer to that guy's question. And the other point to answer that question, he's had success with strong OC and DCs. That's So true. if you get two strong new ones... Get right back to where you are. Exactly. That's a great point, is that they've shown before that this guy can take you to the Super Bowl as the head coach if he has strong coordinators. So why not keep the coach and get strong coordinators, and maybe that's the formula to help us get back. Maybe it is. Maybe we just didn't have strong enough coordinators, and that's our bad. Yeah. I hope so. (laughs) Could be it. John McMullen, what candidates stand out? Who is he hearing? And how does he think this all went down Friday And then, what's going to happen Wednesday? That's all coming up next. John McMullen, Birds 365. I know you guys want to hear what John has to say. And that's coming up next, right here on the Sports Bash. Live in the gallery, bar, book, and games at Ocean Casino Resort. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios. Here's Mike Gill. Boy, here we go. Three o'clock on a Monday. The Eagles firmly in the news for a lot of reasons. Nick Sirianni's going to talk Wednesday with Howie Roseman. A lot of interviews scheduled, a lot of names. Let's clear the dust. Live at Ocean Casino's Gallery. Bar book and games. This is the Sports Bash. Mike Gill, Ryan Rothstein, and John McMullen for Birds 365. It's been quite an eventful uh, 48 hours or so. I guess Sirianni met with Lori 
John, from your understanding, it seems, or, or I would say, is it your understanding that he passed that test? Yeah, he's going to be back. I, I don't know if there was any test. I think it's more of will you acquiesce to what I want. So I don't know if it's a test, but uh, clearly he's going to be back. And, you know, there's some positive and negative to that and the fact that uh, obviously this is Jeffrey Lurie's history. This is what he does. And if he was going to be back, he would have to do certain things. And uh, Nick's going to do those certain things, and we'll see how it shakes out. So Nick seemingly will be back, and it seems, I guess, John, uh, his messaging was... Let's get more veteran-laden coordinators around me. Does that seem um, how he pitched his plan for for Jeffrey Lurie? Yeah, well, it's kind of, I don't know if that's the pitch of the plan or or that was the plan coming from Jeffrey's side that you need more veteran uh, leadership, and we'll try to, you know, uh, flesh that out in the coming weeks uh, to see you know, how this exactly went down. Just knowing Nick, he's a very loyal guy. I, I think that the offensive coordinator will tell a lot. If it's a Jim Bob Cooter or a Mike McCoy, then you know Nick Sirianni has some power over the situation. If it's some off-the-radar guy, um, you're probably looking at, at somebody who was handed to him from Howie and Jeffrey's side. So, you know, this is what the Eagles do, and we're in stage that, you know, the Kubler-Ross model, the five stages of grief, I think the the Eagles have the five stages of coaching, and we're in the scapegoat phase, and there's only one stage left, and that's either Nick's going to turn it around or he's going to be out uh, next year. So um, it's repeating itself, and we'll see how it shakes out this time. Uh, John McMullen, Birds 365. Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, Desai is out. Patricia not coming back. And it, reporting, you know, out there that looks like Brian Johnson's going to be gone uh, as well. Um, uh, the names that are currently surfacing, any of those kind of stand out as, all right, I could see this helping or this making sense. I think getting away defensively, I think getting away from uh, the Fangio scheme, I I think the Eagles have been hiring, you know, the the old adage is if you're chasing a trend, you're already behind. I think they've been chasing that trend and they're behind. And um, so I think going in a a different direction from the defensive side um, is not going to be a bad thing. So, and getting a veteran mind, at least somebody who understands the, the job and understands the expectation, understands the pressure, somebody like Ron Rivera, for instance, I, I think that can only be a positive. But um, offensively is the more interesting part because it's Nick Sirianni's offense. That's why we're here. Are they going to let him keep that offense? Or do they want him to bring in somebody with different um, thought processes, different schemes, different philosophies, and then he becomes just sort of a, a Jason Garrett, if you think about when Jerry Jones stripped his play-calling ability down in, in Dallas and he became, you know, a glorified cheerleader, which showed up with Jason clapping on the sideline. Um, it it kind of depends 
which way he's going to go offensively. And again, if it's somebody's familiar with like Jim Bob or, or Mike McCoy, you probably can feel comfortable that he's still got some power when it comes to the offensive side of the football. Um, if it's somebody uh, off the radar, whether it's, you know, uh, 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 Bobby, you know, I don't even want guys in, in head coaching jobs and, and searches like that. Uh, maybe they're out of contract, don't get a head coaching job, maybe want to move on. Um, if it's somebody like that, then then you're probably sensing a, a, a real, real significant change that's coming from ownership. Johnny Mack, what should the system be on offense? Right, so in your mind, is what we've seen okay? Or do you say, yep, that's good. We've seen that they can have success. I believe in it. That's how they should continue to go about it. Or in your mind, do you say to yourself, yeah, you know what? Something needs to change here. It can't continue to be, you know, what we've seen. Well, I, I think there's two parts to that. One is, you know, and, and, and Nick tells that story about his Larry Karras, his college coach, who, and he went in to talk to him and he said, you know, what's your scheme? And he yelled at him and he said, you don't even know who the players are yet. And I think that's a good story um, to envision, look, you can't go into uh, and say, this is my scheme. And, and you're coming from an outside situation, not working with this particular quarterback not working with this roster, however, how he assembles it in the offseason, say, I'm going to run this. This is what the Eagles got in trouble with defensively. Same thing offensively. Uh, they've had success in the past building around Jalen Hurts for whatever reason. Um, in the last seven games, it went off the rails. Uh, a lot of things went off the rails can't fully explain it. I think a lot of it's personnel driven. I think a lot of it is the regression of the quarterback. How do you stop that? It's going to be interesting. <laughs> from all accounts, yeah. they're moving on from a trusted advisor uh, for Jalen Hurts and, and Brian Johnson or, or, you know, he can even go down the route that if Jalen Hurts isn't pushing for that, maybe he's, he doesn't have a problem with it. So there's a lot of ways you can go with this, but I don't think one of them is, oh, I want to run Detroit scheme or I want to run San Francisco scheme because if you start getting into that, you're just doing the same thing you did on defense. Can you give us a, a name uh, possibly for both sides, for OC and DC? You know, I'm really putting you on the spot, but it doesn't have to literally be that person but what I'm asking is that style, that type of coaching personality, that type of scheme, you know, you would like to see a, you know, Shane Steichen-like OC and a, you know, Wink type of DC. You get what I'm asking you, right? Like, what's a, what's a name that you would like to well, see? Well, I, I, think, I think Wink Martindale would be the official candidate of the Eagles fan base. If they could sponsor <laughs> somebody, they would sponsor Wink Martindale, but... I would be very careful with that because Wink would show up probably throwing bombs in the building in a situation that's already. I mean, if you think about his last two endings in Baltimore, he's feuding with the head coach. In New York, he's feuding with the head coach. I mean, uh, all right, great, he blitzes, but I, I, don't, I don't want somebody. There's already a lot of dysfunction here. I, I, I wouldn't want somebody further 
um, playing into that, and that seems to be Wink's history. So, um, again, I'm not a scheme guy. I, I think you hire a coach, hire a coach. And that was one of Nick Sirianni's strengths. I think a lot of people don't realize when Nick got here, he, he wanted to run a more traditional offense. Uh, he, he's a big fan of Phillip Rivers. He loved coaching Phillip Rivers. He wanted to play 11 personnel. He wanted to throw the football like the Colts would throw the football with Phillip Rivers. And I got off to that 2-5 and five start and he said, you know what? Jalen's a different type of quarterback. I've got to build the offense around Jalen Hurts. They did it. They were successful for an extended period of time. They got to get back to where they were with Jalen Hurts when Jalen was playing at an MVP level. It's not that far off. It's not that far long ago. So the two names I would focus on are, are, are Jim Bob and Mike McCoy. And if those two are here, I think it's more trusted uh, for Nick Sirianni. And I think you probably start going in a positive direction. Uh, otherwise, you should have fired the coach and gone a completely different direction. If you're going to if you're going to have a head coach who doesn't have autonomy over he wants to have autonomy, why is he here? So that's kind of a Eagles dysfunction if that's the way they go. Now, John, uh, I've been bringing this up. Um, I want to get your opinion on it. A lot of people look at the Eagles and the coach is the puppet and Roseman and Lori tell him and whatever he they say he has to do. And therefore, the coach loses a lot of credibility with the fans. So this whole situation is being viewed as Sirianni is being told this is what he has to do and he acquiesces. My question for you is, if that is in fact the case, shouldn't we be giving the Eagles the benefit of the doubt? If that's how they do things, why would we question it? And I get it. People only want to win the Super Bowl. Nothing else matters. But when you look around the league at the amount of executives, front office people, and coaches that get poached from this team, wouldn't that tell you that the league thinks what the Eagles are doing is the blueprint they want to follow? Uh, I, I think more from a personnel standpoint, but I, I think, and I fall into this trap as well, I, I think um, people get too focused on um, the moment and, and what happens. And In other words, the Eagles went to the Super Bowl, so, you know, both their coordinators get hired. There's a lot of bad organizations in the NFL is what I'm trying to get around and make bad decisions. Um, and not to say Shane's a bad coach or, or JG's a bad coach because I don't think they are. But the point is, if you have success, uh, Baltimore has had everybody on their damn staff get interviews this year. Well, they didn't get interviews last year. What's the difference? They're the best team in the AFC on the verge of going to the Super Bowl. We'll see if they can close it out. I mean, it's they're they're slaves to the moment, uh, generally. And and if you look at these head coaching lists, everybody has the same guys. They're all interviewing the same people. It's like you have a head hunting firm, and they come up with six names, and they all interview, and then you the the chairs stop. It's musical chairs, and the music stops, and everybody sits down. Um, and whether if you look at the Nick Sirianni year, you know the Eagles wanted to interview Arthur Smith. And they did, but they were late in the process, and he was well down the road with Atlanta. Same thing with Robert Salah. Brandon Staley actually turned them down because it was so late in the process. Well, it was lucky they didn't get any of them, um, and they ended up going off the radar. So I, I do give them credit for doing that, uh, and they did it with Doug Peterson as well. 
Although in both instances, it was sort of out of desperation. It was plan C's or plan D's. So you give them some credit, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't go overboard with it. Uh, we had a question that was asked from a listener who, who asked, if you need to bring in two coordinators, why would you then keep the coach? Doesn't that say something? I guess, and Brian and I were kind of debating this, you know, the Eagles seemingly are, um, looking at, like, the, the, the unprecedented nature of the question is based on the ineptitude was six games. The success was a far larger, <clears throat> part of the pie but the ineptitude was so inept that could be a heavier weight (laughs) right that 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 they weighed they weighed the success over the six games of ineptitude no clearly they didn't um and that and that's part of the problem and you brought up part of the problem like is you know the expectations and you know, it's not just Philadelphia. It's all the sports and uh, across sports. And, you know, there's this whole generation of, of fans that don't think, for instance, Houston and, say, Green Bay, who have young quarterbacks made the playoffs. Like, that's valuable to them, even though they lost. And it's disappointing. And, you know, but here, if you make the playoffs, which the Eagles did, and you get, you get bounced, one and done. It's like a disaster. It's not meaningful. Well, it was meaningful to the Jalen Carters of the world and um, Kelly Ringo's and Eli Rex and the, and the rookies who played in the game. You know, they they probably learned something pretty valuable from that experience alone, even though it was a disappointment. But yeah, you have this whole generation that doesn't think anything is of value. Other than a championship, and I, I and the ironic thing is, the I don't think the Eagles have to play into that. Some teams do. Some teams have to sell tickets and uh, sell advertising and, and marketing opportunities. The Eagles don't. They know whatever they're going to do. These people are going to show up, and they have the the luxury of being patient if they want to be patient, but they can't do it. They can't be patient. It's just, Jeffrey can't be patient. You know, Sean Desai should be back. Sean Desai shouldn't have been demoted. Uh, Brian Johnson should be back. All all young coaches learn. Nick Sirianni learned in year one. Um, Now, it's a little bit easier to move on from coordinators than it is from head coaches. If you move on from head coaches too soon, I remember the Eagles already did it with Doug Peterson, who won the only to my knowledge, the only Lombardi trophy in franchise history, and they moved on with three years. Now you got a guy who goes back to the Super Bowl and you're going to move on from him in a year. Then you start getting a reputation. And you don't want to be David Tepper where people don't take you seriously. Now that's an extreme. He wins two games. He's firing coaches in season. But, you know, anybody with opportunities is going to look at this situation and go, eh, Nick Sirianni's a lame duck. So do I want to come here for one year if I have other opportunities? I I don't think so. John, I'm glad you you talked about this because I brought this up a few times and I brought it up in the first hour with MG. I said I feel like we're we're a little bit too close to how the Dallas Cowboys operate, and I that's just a different way to say what you just said, meaning just the microscope and the micromanaging at least the perception of the micromanaging from ownership 
and the front office, and you bring up the market and the expectations and how short of a leash everyone has. And I agree with all of it. So I don't know. Like, is that a blessing? Is that a curse? And is it a is it a market problem or is it a Jeffrey Lurie problem? Right. Like we're in a huge time period right now in this franchise's history, I think. Like we're going to be able to say, okay, we trust and really do believe in Jeffrey Lurie or like the wheels could fall off of this thing. Well, I think overall, I mean, you have to be fair. And, you know, Jeffrey's been here for over a quarter of a century. I I think overall he's a good owner. Mm -hmm. But I don't think there's a lot of good owners. You know, I think giving him a pass because he's better than, you know, insert name is not necessarily all that uh, uh, meaningful if you want to grade on the curve, so to speak. So, you know, in a lot of ways... I criticize him more because he has a luxury that other people don't have. I say the same thing with Howie Roseman. As great as Howie has been, Howie 2.0, and, and being a GM, he's also got a luxury. And I, I try to point that, I try to point that out all the time. Other GMs have to make right decisions early, or they're going to get fired. I mean, he has the luxury of understanding. Oh, I can make a mistake, and Jeffrey will give me an opportunity to fix it. And guys don't have that. So when you, when you have that bigger lease, and he has it in this market because they're so passionate and they're so loyal, they can say whatever they want. You got to fire Nick Sirianni. You got to do this. You got to do that. You know darn well they're going to be there. Lincoln Financial Field is going to sell out. They're going to travel the games. The TV ratings are going to be off the charts. They have that luxury. A lot of other teams don't have that luxury. Some do. Some don't. And he doesn't utilize it, I think, in a, in, in, a, in a fashion where he should. And he doesn't utilize it in a, in a good fashion. Uh, I think he's way too, um, way too uh, slavish to the fact that they, this is the expectation. This year was Super Bowl or bust. So he'll go into next season. Maybe it won't be Super Bowl. Maybe you got to win a playoff game. So he'll go into a season saying, these are our expectations. If you don't match them, we're, we, people are going to have to pay. And the scapegoats are, are obviously the high-profile ones, Sean Desai, which already took place, Matt Patricia, Brian Johnson. You're going to see a bunch of assistants go. This is a big scapegoating year, and it all stems and ties back to those expectations, which is crazy. Are they doing a good job or are they not doing a good job? Now, maybe some of these coaches that are going to lose their job, we're not behind the scenes. Even I, as as much access as I get, I can't see these guys work every day. Maybe they are doing a bad job. You can be honest and say so-and-so isn't what I wanted. But I find it hard to believe that so many people you raved about turned into morons overnight. It It doesn't make sense on any level. Uh, John McMullen, everybody. Uh, a lot going to happen this week. Nick Sirianni, Howie Roseman, they will talk Wednesday. And, of course, we'll be keeping our eye on that. The coordinators, um, yeah, a lot happening right now. John, we'll catch up with you tomorrow, bud. All right, thanks, guys. Johnny Mac, uh, Birch 365, weekday mornings, 8 a.m. on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. He brought it today, man. I, I, I really, I thought 
It was interesting, particularly there towards the end when he's talking about scapegoat with the coordinators. It's like, are they scapegoats? Was it fair to move on from them? Or do they need to make up for the head coach inefficiencies? And he said both coordinators should be back. Right. They should be given the chance. They made it to the playoffs to be able to grow from that playoff experience and learn from it. Do you agree with that? Uh, I think Desai got a raw deal. He did. And I was the one that said, look, I don't have any problem making the change because it wasn't because I thought he was so horrendous. It was for the – I wasn't one of those people that thought making the change at that time was like, hey, look, Buffalo changed their coordinator and it worked for them. And just because it worked for them doesn't mean it's going to work for you. I wasn't saying that I thought the side was horrendous. I just said, hey, look, if they really think the defense can be fixed. Yeah, and the opposite happened. And we talked about this for weeks after that decision to move on to Matt Patricia. You have to put two and two together. Two plus two equals four. And in this in this scenario, Mike Gill, I say uh, ownership in front office, they were involved in that decision. Uh, all right, coming up, five from Danny Rye. He's been working on them, and you'll hear the five biggest pressing topics on Danny Rye's mind. Coming up next here on a Monday edition of the Sports Pass live at the Gallery Bar Book and Games at Ocean Casino Resort in Atlantic City. Com. It's with Mike Gill. Keeping the fans entertained and happy. On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Sports Bash is live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. We're at the Gallery Bar Book and Games at Ocean Casino Resort. By the way, speaking of the ocean, you know they have the uh, the beer that the seed makes for them. I finally made it to the seed this weekend. Oh, yeah. First time. Good little spot, right? Great spot. People were awesome. Yes. Best part was, so I get there, right? Uh-huh. Look at the menu. They did not have an IPA on the menu, which is kind of my beer of choice. Oh, boy. So I'm kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place here, right? IPA, Mike. How'd you get along there? (laughs) So my buddy ordered a beer. My other buddy said, order me whatever you're getting. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm even getting. (laughs) So I ordered a beer, and I went to pay for the beer. And the guy looked at me, and he said, I'm so sorry. We don't have an IPA on. So what'd you do? He went and got me one. Really? They were making one that debuts today. Wow. Oh, so you got to sneak it peek. right out of the vat in the back. <laughs> Jeez, wow. man. Talk yeah. about high maintenance, man. The first I thing. ordered a beer. I mean, <laughs> but he uh, listens, and he's a fan of Happy Hour Fridays, okay. and he knows that my style of beer was not available. And he said, I got a beer for you. So shout out to the people at the scene. Nice. I had a great time. How do you feel that you were the first ever customer to taste that IPA? I asked what the name of the beer was, and he said, we haven't named it yet. Wow, the Mike Gill? <laughs> yeah. The owner um, told me the name of it. I don't remember. The other guy. Let's call it The Gill. He said they didn't have a name yet. but <laughs> The MG. I will tell you, it was very good. The uh, Now, when I finished that beer. Voice of reason. He had a couple other beers that were in the refrigerator, like older versions of IPAs that they had. Uh-huh. And he's like, I think I have a can like hanging around. I'll grab you one. Nice. So, now, it's a great cool spot. spot. Nice. Great spot. I, I've been saying that people have said you got to get there. You gotta, yeah. It's the first time I've ever been there. I had a great time. So Good hangout. I will be back. 100%. I enjoyed it. Uh, also, uh, I made it to Hidden Sands for my first time ever. 
Ah. I really enjoyed that spot. I was unaware of how cool it was in that place. So shout out to both those places. Quite the weekend for MG. Stopped in Sopo on uh, Saturday night as well there. Uh, Man. Yeah, we did a little tour. Hit it hard. Respect yeah, you know, you have two here, two there. Yeah. Watch the game, went home. I hear you. Yeah. All right, let's get into this Monday edition of Five from Danny Rye. All right, let's do it. And I'm just going to be straight up with you guys. It's going to be all NFL and Eagles-related questions. There's too much going on right now surrounding this team, the uncertainties. So Love plenty it. of content to work with here. Starting off number one. We talked about it earlier in the show, but Jeremy Fowler of ESPN reported that the Eagles will interview former Panthers and Commanders head coach Ron Rivera, along with former Jaguars defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell for their defensive coordinator position. Additionally, Diana Rossini of The Athletic reported that the Eagles have been in contact with Wink Martindale, the former Giants defensive coordinator, among many other candidates. So my question for you two is, out of those three names, who would you prefer most to be the new Eagles defensive coordinator and why? You're obviously Wink, right? Oh, no, No, I don't think I'm Wink. No, no, I I don't think I can take. The city of Philadelphia is Wink. Dude, after I've said Stink, Martindale, I I want him here just for that alone. I will call that man Stink Martindale. You want him to come here, blitz the daylights out of teams, and get shredded so that you never have to hear fans complain about lack of blitzing again? Yes, and then we would have the <laughs> we would be blessed with getting the opportunity right. to call him Stink. Yeah, he, he just wants a funny nickname <laughs> that's it. to call him if he's stinking. That's all I care about. That's all he cares that, about. That's where my bar uh, is now, but I don't think they'll bring in Wink. I think it goes against their entire defensive philosophy unless they're ready to throw it out the window and say this season was a disaster. I, I don't see that happening. Well, what is their defensive philosophy, right? Well, I, mean, I mean, Ben, don't break. Well, right that, now? That was Gannon's. It was yes, Desai as well. That's but they tried they to implement him. that. Then they went in the same. The reason they hired, the reason Sirianni picked Desai was because he wanted to keep the defense similar to what Gatt. He was looking for someone who ran the Vic Fangio style of defense. Right. And now it's bend and break. So, Well, it was busted, broken, <laughs> shattered. Yeah, it was destroyed. I, I'd like to see a change. I, I don't mind. Look, listen, I was In not philosophy. a fan of the style of them, but I understood that their style was... Working for, well, for that historic year, the Super Bowl year. Yeah, I mean, they, they, look, the league changed. They went to a lot of spread offenses. So this Fangio defense was kind of created to, that's the guy that got hired in Jacksonville, by the way. What a great look. Great stash. Ryan Neeson. Strong stash. Um, So anyway. You know, these spread offenses, keep everything in front, no big plays, yada, yada, yada. Well, I'm not a huge fan of the style, but I thought the way they ran it worked pretty good. I think they're more likely to go with a guy like Ron Rivera or Mike Caldwell for the sole fact that they have a history with Jeffrey Lurie. They've been coaches on this staff before. I mean, Ron Rivera less recently than Mike Caldwell. Mike Caldwell started in 08 with the Eagles and ended in 2012. The the Rivera thing's interesting, though. Yeah. The guy who has been the longtime head coach, who then says, you know what, I don't want to be a head coach anymore. I want to go back to just running the defense. He hasn't been a defensive coordinator since 2010. But I actually... Good Chargers defense, though. I'm not a big fan of Riverboat Ron as a head coach. But I actually like the transition because I interpret it as... That is a walk in the park compared to what he's been doing. Right. You're the CEO. You're the head coach. Now they say, hey, you're a defensive guy. Just go run the defense, Of a bad dude. football team, too. Let's be honest. He's also yeah. a linebacker. 
Will he value that position more than the current state of the organization? He might be, like, number two on the depth chart. <laughs> Riverboat Ron. I, like, I'm intrigued by Rivera, but I would also answer this. Like, he has been the head coach for Washington the last four years. Have you ever? Now, they, they're supposed to have good defenses, and they haven't. No. He's also now, he been... hasn't been the play caller, but. Yeah. I, I think he was set up for failure for a majority of his time in Washington, aside from this last year. And Josh Harris, honestly, you could say he was set up for failure this year because Josh Harris didn't have enough time to make necessary changes of the mess that Dan Snyder left behind. So. I, I, if you had to pick one, though, out of those of three, the names, three you gave me, I would go with Rivera first. Well, Rivera. Let's rank them. Stink, and what was the third? Mike, Mike Caldwell, Caldwell. The former Jaguars DC. I go with I go with Ron Rivera, who just got fired, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but Caldwell, not, yes. Not the head coach. I'd go with Ron. I actually, and I don't know that this name has come up yet because they're still playing. You know, why not bring Denard Wilson in here? They, they right. basically admitted they made a mistake by letting him go. They didn't offer him the job. He ended up going to Baltimore. and They have been linked to him. There's just no official report that they well, requested to interview, interview him. him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you would probably be running. Wait, they can't interview him yet? No, he's still. He's well, still Ben Johnson's there. taking interviews, though. He took him last week. Okay. Yeah. So is there a certain – I'm genuinely asking. Is there a certain clause where you can take it one week, you can't take it – Well, I think you have to wait. You have to wait to the yeah. Super Bowl. Between the week of the Super Bowl. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So I, I would agree with you guys. I would go Ron Rivera 2, Caldwell – or pardon me, Ron Rivera 1, Caldwell 2, and then Stink Martindale 3. I just <laughs> – for the sole fact, like I said before, I don't see them changing their philosophy. And by the way, you just love that nickname. It's, it's lighting up your face. Oh, I disagree, though. I can see them changing their philosophy. I can see them changing a yeah, little bit, but not that heavy. Like, no, I disagree. Flip upside down. I think that. I think I would hate it. I think part of the pitch was we're going to go with a completely different style of defense. And I brought this up last week. This defense now needs to be built around Jalen Carter, right? He's now the guy. So if I'm, I actually say, look, I'm watching what the Rams did with Aaron Donald when he was, yeah, you know, in his prime, and, and and how did they run their defense around the defensive tackle being That's the star point. of that team? Very good point. They also have a lot of decisions to make on that side of the ball, you know, personnel wise. A ton. And that's going to factor into the style. And we're going to hear a little bit on Wednesday, hopefully at least, and I'll ask about Wednesday's press conference in just a few questions. But moving on to number two, the man of the hour at the Chiefs-Bills game last night. Jason Kelsey was absolutely (laughs) raging in Buffalo at the Chiefs and Bills game, cheering on his brother Travis Kelsey. He was with Taylor Swift, Kylie Kelsey, Donna Kelsey, the whole fam. Kelsey's shenanigans included taking a shot out of a bowling ball at a tailgate with Bills fans pregame, then slamming the bowling ball on the ground and high-fiving Bills fans, along with screaming his lungs out shirtless in a suite after Travis scored his first touchdown and then topped it off by jumping out of the suite to chug beer and take pictures with Bills and Chiefs fans in the stands. So my question for you guys is, I mean, I've seen a lot of mixed reviews all over social media about Kelsey's actions last night, specifically from Eagles fans being a little butthurt that he's acting like that. So, Mike and Ryan, what were your thoughts on Kelsey going full frat boy mode in Buffalo last night? It's legendary. I loved it. Dude, anyone who has any other reaction to what Danny and I are reacting, legendary, love it. He's the man. Get out of here, bro. Get a life. It's awesome. You can't help but love it. I asked, have we ever seen an active player or newly retired player, any former player in history, current or former, just let loose like that at a 
as an active player for another team yeah. at another NFL game and just being a fan. Not to that degree. Certainly not. Never. And he's so well-liked. I mean, that doesn't even do it justice. Well, he's getting out of the stands, not only chugging the beer, but then he popped out a second time, not as aggressive as the first time. Yeah. And he's taking pictures with kids. I love how he kept his shirt. Well, the did. one the one like, little what? girl had a Taylor Swift yes. sign, and he hopped over the fence for the kid. Like, he's the yeah. man. I mean, he propped her up and showed Taylor the sign. Yeah. He's Can you awesome. imagine if a fan jumped out of the window? No, they'd be escorted out immediately. Right. Yeah. That was a lot of talk oh last night. If that was just God. Joe Schmo, would he be in front of a judge right yeah, now? Yeah, he'd be oh, in yes. oh, Listen, I'm not, I, I thought it was hysterical, man. I was cracking up like him just with the Chiefs hat on, no shirt. Then you see Kylie in the back, like half smiling, half concerned for him. Right. He's just a dude. Like He's like, I'm going to a Bills home playoff game. I want the full experience. Right. And he got it. And then his daughter telling his mom... My, yeah. my mom, or I think it was uh, Ellie was the daughter's name. Dad's boobs are showing. Yeah, his man boobs. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think it was just awesome to see him let loose like that. The guy was, he had such an emotional week and a half, really, just to be able to let loose and kind of enjoy himself at his brother's playoff game. All the people that were nitpicking, oh, I'd like to see some sort of accountability. Why is he all happy at his brother's playoff game? What do you want him to soak for a week and a half, depressed, and have no smile on his face whatsoever? Like, yeah. some of these fans are nitpicking, man. It's All ridiculous. right, so after watching that, do you guys feel more that he's retired or that that says, I'm coming back? I feel more retired. I don't know. I, I, it's hard I to think, read, but I, if I had to pick one. If I had retired. to lean, I would lean towards he's coming back. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Dude, he's still playing at... He's what? Probably the best center in, in the NFL still? Voted by the players, voted by, yeah, you know, obviously. I, I think he's going to skip out on all of the offseason stuff and, you know, come back week one. All right, moving on to number three. As Mike mentioned earlier on in the show, Adam Schefter of ESPN reported that Nick Sirianni and Howie Roseman will be holding an end-of-season press conference tomorrow afternoon with all signs pointing towards Sirianni returning. Wednesday afternoon. Uh, pardon me, yes, Wednesday afternoon. I'm in overnight mode. I have my overnight Jeez, late the night. Oh! All signs pointing towards Sirianni returning as head coach in 2024. Press conference, as Mike said, Wednesday afternoon. I mean, all season long, we have heard cliche remarks that hold very little weight regarding how to fix what's wrong with this team. So my question for you both is, what do you need to hear Wednesday afternoon to have confidence that this team is trending in the right direction? Need to hear. I don't know that I have a need. Yeah, there's nothing that can. There's nothing they can say. I have a need. What is it? A complete revamp of the coordinators, which we know they're going to do, but they're bringing well, I don't in need veteran to hear them guys. Say that. They've already shown. Yeah, that. I mean, I'm, I'm continuing. Okay, they need to establish, <clears throat> pardon me, better personnel on the defensive side. We know all of that, but I want to hear it from their mouths instead of, you know, we just got to learn and grow and you know get get back on track. Well, show me how you're going to get back on track. Lay out the blueprint that yeah. Sirianni proposed to Lori. I would like them to be asked, why is Sirianni still here? Well, I'm I'm sure. too. <laughs> I mean, they're not going to answer. I am sure that the question will be, what made you guys decide that Nick was the guy? Right, exactly. What I think I would like them to hear is, and I don't know how they're going to answer the question, but, okay, Nick's in charge, but are you guys going to change your philosophy with the offense and defense? This has been Nick's right. offense. Is the new coordinator going to get a chance to install his own offense? Because guess what? If that's not the case, you're then going to limit what coordinators want to come here. I don't want to come run your offense. I'll come and run my offense, but I don't want to run your offense. And are you open and willing to change the style of defense from Gannon 
decides Vic Fangio style, or are you willing to turn this defense over to someone else and let them run their defense? Yeah, I, w- I want that question for both sides of the ball. Like, do you uh, yeah. think this college system on offense is enough, is good enough? And what Gil said about the defense, I agree. Yeah, I know they've asked it a few times in the past, too, but I really want them to hammer home. Who made the switch to Patricia in the middle of the season before the Seahawks hammered, I mean, second half of the season? And also, too, like, who is behind hiring? You're not getting that answer, though, because they asked that question when it happened, and Sirianni said it was me. Last press conference of the year, they might as well ask it one more time and throw it out there. Sirianni said, I made the decision. Which he definitely did. And basically, they said, if that's what you want to do, go for it. And I say, if that's the case, that was a fireable event. Yes. Right. We're going to speed through these last two so we can fit all five in during Five with Danny Rye. But number four, according to Jonathan Jones of CBS Sports, former Eagles head coach Chip Kelly has been drawing interest from NFL teams in search of new offensive coordinators. Kelly, as we all know, had a nice start in the NFL, but that success quickly faded as Chip finished his NFL head coaching career with a 28-35 record following a 2-14 record the last season he was a head coach for the 49ers in 2016. With all of that being said, do either of you think that Kelly deserves another shot in the NFL, even if it's just as an offensive coordinator? Do I think he deserves another shot? I don't know why anybody would want him. Does he deserve one? Eh, not really. I mean, he's about a 500 UCLA coach. I don't know that his – he didn't go back to college and just start dominating his offense again. They've been good, not great. He got the opportunity because of what he did at Oregon. Those teams were special offensively. These teams at UCLA, I wouldn't say are special. It seems that his offense has kind of been plateaued. So I would say I'd pass if I'm an NFL team. I think you have, he's absolutely worth looking into as an OC. He is regarded – in the football world is one of the brighter offensive minds. He was regarded. I I think he still is. I think he still is. Maybe not by everyone. Maybe it's not, you know, unanimous, but I'm sure people out there still believe that. And I, I would like to see him in an OC role. I don't care if he is or isn't, but I'd be curious. Chip Kelly's record at UCLA, 2018, 3-9, 2019-4-8. Uh, 2020 shortened season three and four. 2021 eight and four. 2022 nine and four. And this past season eight and five. Yeah, just been average. Yeah, you know they've been good. And, yeah. and they and it's not like when he was at Oregon they were scoring like 50 points a game. Right. These yeah. UCLA teams they're okay. What's well, that these coaches have figured him out and have adjusted? Yeah, and I don't know. Look, this offensive style. I think the NFL is kind of getting away from the college spread stuff as opposed to trying to bring it back. I think these teams are now playing defense to stop it and now the next evolution is okay now what i wouldn't want to go back to him running a college spread offense i know we have to get to the next one but i feel like his offense would sort of fit well with jalen hurts i'm just been, saying that would have been his dream quarterback when chip kelly was head coach of the eagles obviously because of the marcus Mariota talk during his track he class. can run get the ball out of his hand quick he has playmakers all around him. Can you, can you imagine two days? The Eagles have requested to interview <laughs> Chip Kelly for their vacant offensive coordinator. There is 0. Oh. 0. 0.0% 0. chance of Jeffrey Lurie yeah. bringing him back into the building. I yeah. agree. And if I'm any NFL team, I have no interest in him as an NFL offensive coordinator. You haven't been in the NFL since 2016, and you left the league at a 2-14 and 14 record with a you know, not great 49ers team, but I don't think they were 2-14 and 14 that year. Uh, so I'm out on Chip Kelly. All right, my fifth and final question. Obviously, the Eagles have been eliminated. So out of the four teams remaining in the NFL playoffs, those teams being the Lions and Niners in the NFC, along with the Ravens and Chiefs in the AFC, which team are you rooting for to win it all? I put my official, it is um, like uh, 
uh, we're having like the primaries right now, the, mm-hmm. the, the Republican primaries. This is endorsement season. <laughs> I officially have endorsed the Ravens. I knew you were going to say Baltimore. I knew it. I just knew it. I tweeted it out yesterday. Come on, man. I am officially endorsing you would. the Baltimore Ravens. They yeah. are getting my endorsement. How can you not want to see the Detroit Lions right. at this point, man? How can you not want to see... The Detroit Lions and that coach and that city and what they've been through win it all. Now, do I think they're going to win it all? That's a different conversation, but I would love to see Detroit. It's a great story. I understand it, but I think there is a part of the Lamar Jackson thing that could be a great story as well. Everybody has questioned him and said that he'll never win and his style and he held out and i had said look i don't think we'll ever see him play quarterback there again he waited he waited he waited he had no suitors nobody wanted him so the ravens took him back and he could potentially win the super bowl remember last year for the playoff game he wasn't even with the team yeah it 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 was a mess he he asked to be traded it was a mess it would be a really cool story to see him win yeah Yeah. I i think the lions are possibly the worst maybe second worst if you want to put kansas city is the worst but i feel like you can't even doubt them because of andy Reid and pat mahomes yeah. so i would argue the lions are the worst team in the nfl playoffs right now but i'm still going to endorse them because of one extra motivation today zach Ertz signs for the lions at least in their practice squad to see if he gets elevated what a weird story that is but then so two random. i want them to take down the 49ers i mean they're essentially yeah. more rivals to the eagles right now than the cowboys are so i want them to take what them would down. be the best super bowl give me lions ravens yeah, Lions Ravens. Well, I say I'll be at the Super Bowl for the week. I don't want. I don't want the Chiefs. I'm, I'm, I've been to the Super Bowl how many times? He's and always the I Chiefs. keep getting the Chiefs. They're turning year. into the Patriots right now. It's like the Patriot effect. You but to see them in that would game. be the best storyline. I would like to see Detroit and the Chiefs. I don't know. I think the or nine. rematch Niners Chiefs. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be a great one too. Either way, the well, Niners, Niners Ravens too. They played exactly. this year and the Ravens blasted them. Either yeah. way, the Niners are gonna have to play a team in the Super Bowl that they've already lost to in the Super Bowl. In the Super Bowl. Yes. Yeah. All right. So I'm, I'm going to endorse the Lions. Ryan endorses the Lions. MG is going with the Ravens. That was five with Danny Rye. Uh, by the way, Joel Embiid has been named the Eastern Conference Player of the Week. You want the numbers? Another one. Yeah. 37.8 points, That's 8.5 it. rebounds, and five assists. Something like In Something seven late. total minutes played. <laughs> Sixers went 4-0 during that stretch. They'll play tonight against the Spurs. Love it. And you can hear it right here on 97.3 ESPN. Um, All right, coming up, football at four. Mosher is here. What is he hearing on the Eagles coaching search? We'll have the very latest on that. And we got sound of the day. One thought every game. And you guys, your text messages throughout the day, we've been getting them. And we'll read and react. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. I said the window on the Buffalo Bills was closing, and it's shut. It is officially shut. Wow. It's a bold statement. Are they back? No, definitely not back. <laughs> Sounds like you think the window's shut. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My only two options. Football at four is next. 
City. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Just hungry to bring back another Lombardi to Philly. It's, uh, the fans deserve it. Our team deserves it. Uh, culture begs for it. Now live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, this is Football at Four. Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. It's brought to you by Bet365, whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. Mike and Ryan, we're live at the Ocean Gallery Bar Book and Games, and Jeff Mosher's here for today's edition of Football at Four. You heard what Jeffrey Lurie said there. All culture, they yearn for this. Yearn. Uh, what kind of culture, Mosher, are they setting right now? Uh, do you look at dysfunction with the way this has been handled, or is, uh, are you kind of looking at this and saying, hey, they're taking care of what they need to in, in you know a fashion that uh, is acceptable? Good question, Mike and Ryan, and I'm, I'm glad that that's how you asked the question, Mike, because I kind of thought you were going to ask me if I yearn in a very, you know, George Costanza-like way. Do you yearn? <laughs> Do you yearn for great culture? Um, I don't I don't know what great culture always looks like with the Eagles because they tend to change their culture uh, quite a bit, even when you think it's good. So it is the million-dollar question. Um, this is obviously Nick Sirianni. He's going to have his press conference with Howie later this week on Wednesday. Clearest indication that he's going to stay. We talked about that on the podcast I dropped this morning. I always leave the door a little bit open because the Eagles, maybe more than other organizations, are infamous for having these kind of press conferences that make you think that they're moving forward with certain people and then a day or two later something happens and you're having a totally different conversation. But for the sake of this discussion, we'll operate under the fact that Nick Sirianni is going to stay. And I think... If you can get past the, and, I'm, and I obviously realize how hard it is to get past this, this whole collapse down the stretch, I think that when we talk about their collapse from a record standpoint, we talk about it from a schematic standpoint, an inability to execute standpoint. I know that there are some reports out there uh, and some stories that are detailing some things like maybe Jalen Hurts isn't the greatest leader or the, or the, the bad, bad decision that switched to play callers. But in general... You heard players supporting the head coach uh, even after the year was over. And as we talked about on Inside the Birds and reported, even when the, the play caller switch from Sean Desai to Matt Patricia happened, we had never been we never heard anybody say it was something personal on Sean Desai. He wasn't well liked. He wasn't someone who fit in the atmosphere. There were just it was just schematic um, issues and questions that that players may have had. So. Here's Nick Sirianni now having to rebuild this coaching staff, but still in his vision, right? So if you look at the bigger picture and the three years that he's been here, the culture's been pretty good. And I imagine Jeffrey Lurie took that in mind when he was making his decision and listening out and then hearing Nick Sirianni out on how to fix the the ship that looks like it's sinking. You just mentioned something that kind of uh, caught my attention that, you know, it sounds like, do you think that Sirianni is going to get to kind of pick the coordinators and the scheme? Like, do you think a coordinator is going to have to run Sirianni's offense again and that the next coordinator on defense, now the names that are coming out doesn't seem like it, is going to have to run that Fangio style of defense? Or do you think they've said, look, you've got to be open to letting someone install and run their offense and their own defense? I mean, Mike, they clearly, 
want somebody who runs some sort of variation of a West Coast offense. Now, there's a lot of different variations of it. That's where Nick Sirianni's roots are. I mean, it's not the old West Coast offense that we think of with Andy Reid back in the 90s. It's been modified quite a bit. Uh, But conceptually, from a route standpoint, West Coast offense. And then you have people from the McVay tree and Shanahan tree that are what I would call West Coast modified, right? So much more motion and shifting and things going on that have added to it and what Andy Reid does in, in Kansas City. So when, when we had heard that they were looking for someone from that West Coast but innovative vein, I, my thought, you know, my, my brain went to someone from that type of Shanahan McVay tree where you can come in and you understand Nick Sirianni's vision and concepts, but you're going to add in your own because you are the play caller and you are going to really figure out how to cure this offense that regressed last year. Uh, some of the names that we hear, like Jim Bob Cooter, give off a different kind of vibe than, than that. But I want to stress that we shouldn't always react to the first name or set of names that you hear going through the cycle. Sometimes that's just because they're available at the moment um, or they have connections. We know that Jim Bob Cooter was, you know, connected to Nick Sirianni in 2021 as his assistant and also before that in Indianapolis. So there's a logical tie there that would make Nick want to take a look at him. So I, 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 I was underwhelmed when I heard the name, but I also don't want to act as if this is the guy, and let's start talking about what a Jim Bob Cooter offense is going to look like here in Philadelphia. And then the same thing defensively. I don't want to react to the first set of names. On offense, you, know, you just said someone that ties to Nick Sirianni, someone that understands it's Nick's offense, but you're maybe going to do a couple things concept-wise that will branch off of that. I mean, I'll ask you flat out, should it stay that way? Mosh, like, or should they be open to the idea after sitting down with Nick Sirianni? Should they be open to the idea of bringing someone in that's going to change things up completely? That's a good question, Ryan. Um, and I don't know exactly. Uh, so I would say yes and no. Like, for example, Greg Roman, a guy who for years, you know, ran yeah. Baltimore's offense and was a very heavy two, three tight end guy, right? And run the ball and with your running backs and run the ball with your quarterback and work only off play action. That's a completely different type of offense than Nick Sirianni has ran or even Shane Steichen or Brian Johnson. I, I would not, just because he has succeeded there with Lamar, but I would not say that's a guy who you want to look at and try to blend in with what Nick Sirianni is doing. You know this organization. They want to throw the ball. They want to be dynamic in the passing game. They have a lot of money invested at wide receiver, tight end, and quarterback. They're going to continue to invest in the trenches because they want to be dynamic offensively. So with that being said, I think it's just going to be a mutual uh, initiative anyway for Nick Sirianni to want to bring in somebody who likes to throw the ball, which tends to be the West Coast offense um, disciples anyway. So So to answer your question, I don't see them going so radical where they bring in a guy who runs an offense that you're like, wow, that's not something I've ever associated, you know, that's not something I would think would go on with this team, but I, I also do think that let's say you brought in someone from the McVeigh or Shanahan tree, there's enough differences there especially in how they use motion um, which the Eagles almost don't use at all, right and say mm-hmm. that's a welcome 
curveball. That is something that we need here, we can really use, and it doesn't per se interfere with the idea of running a West Coast concept offense. All right, so I hear you. I I don't need to necessarily agree or disagree. Not relevant, but what I'm getting at is you say they want to throw the ball. Are they getting in the way of themselves, their own self, right? I botched what I'm trying to say, but should they should they go about it that way? I mean, you have Jalen Hurts. We've seen him succeed a certain type of way. This offense has succeeded a certain type of way. I know they have all these playmakers. I know the higher-ups want to be dynamic. I get it. I'd love to see this team and this offense be dynamic. But is that what we have? Does that suit this team right now? You know, I think it's a fair question, Ryan, but I think if you look at historical precedent, and not just the Eagles, right, and I use Baltimore as an example, for years and years and years they had the most dynamic running quarterback in the NFL. And eventually, you know, they, you know, he was getting beat up and banged up, and the offense was sort of, it hit a limit where it wasn't getting better, and they said, you know what, we need to throw the ball. We know what Lamar can do running, but we got to throw the ball because that's what people do to win in this league, and they hired Todd Munkin, who's done a great job wherever he's been in establishing a dynamic passing offense. And lo and behold, we've seen Lamar do a really nice job throwing the ball. So we've seen Jalen Hurts do a good job running the zone reads, the keepers last year, making the run his run element part of the run element, which in extension made the offense very dynamic and well-balanced. Well, we've also seen that he's had a collarbone slash shoulder injury. He had the ankle injury two years ago. He had the knee injury this year. You're going to get hurt. I mean, all quarterbacks get hurt, not just running quarterbacks, but you're obviously putting yourself in harm's way more. And even beyond that, you're going to eventually stalemate and stagnate if you don't become more dynamic in the passing game in this league. There's very few teams, even the 49ers, who love to run the ball. I mean, look at the year Brock Purdy had. He threw the ball around to all of his weapons. So the run element can still be dangerous for the Eagles, but at the end of the day, they need to be a well-rounded team that can pass the ball because you always, in every game, come up on third and five and longer, and you've got to be able to convert that. So on defense, I know you've, you've touched on this already in our conversation, but this is how I envision the candidate as the next D.C. for the Birds, Mosh, is someone that is a head coach, someone that has experience and who's been around the block for a variety of reasons. I, I mean, mainly because Nick's an offensive guy and you want someone that Sirianni can just say, all right, go do your thing, and, you know, everything's stable on that side of the ball. I don't know if you agree or disagree, but I envision someone like maybe a Ron Rivera, maybe Riverboat Ron, maybe a Lovey Smith. Um, do you see someone of that type of that type of coaching style or maybe not? Uh, I, by the way, has Lovey Smith been mentioned or were you just throwing that name in? Well, I was just throwing I a name. I saw him in an okay. article or just two. It's sure. sort of random, but sure. yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't think they'll be built to run a Tampa 2 style of defense, um, a very stagnant defense. Uh, you know, I, the Ron Rivera thing, I think, makes sense to just bring him in. You're, you have, he's a great guy. He's been a good, really good coach in this league. He just basically got his butt kicked in Washington for a couple of years, although they did win the division that one year. Um, the organization knows him. They know he's a smart guy. I find it a little bit underwhelming, though, because, again, you're looking – I get your point, and I wouldn't be against, say, like a Wink Martindale because I think Wink's a little bit more dynamic and on the cutting edge of what he does. It's been a long, long time since 
Uh, Rivera was the defensive coordinator, and I think the Chargers were still in San Diego last time he did that. And I know he called plays there at the end for Washington, but that was a disaster. I just feel like the game has changed a lot over the last five to ten years since he was last a true defensive play caller. And I don't know that he, he's always been an old school person to heart. I mean, he always wanted to run the ball when the league went to a passing league. So I, I, I just, it, to me, it's like, it's an okay hire. I get that you do want to have an adult in the room. You want to have a, an experienced coach because I imagine that Howie's whole mission this offseason is going to be get as good of a defensive personnel in as possible because they want to make a run for it again next year. But I would really sort of look for someone who I thought was just maybe a little bit more on the cutting edge of how the defense is played these days with rotations in the back end and, you know, disguise, deception. It doesn't have to be Fangio to be that, but um, something that gives the quarterback a little bit of guesswork there, like a Wink Martindale defense does. All right, Jeff Mosher is with us from, uh, of course, the Inside the Birds podcast. And uh, the Eagles, they're going to have Sirianni talk on Wednesday with Roseman. Uh, we've heard a lot of names. Some are reported. Ron Rivera, Mike Caldwell, uh, Wink Martindale's name has been mentioned. No interview yet. Um, you know, so does that all, like when you read the tea leaves on this, d- does this say that they are open to changing their defensive philosophy? I would imagine it has to be, right? I think we have to wait and see how that hiring goes. You know, obviously, hiring Wink Martindale, if they were to interview him and hire him, right, that would signal one of the most abrupt about-face changes in Eagles history as far as defensive philosophy. And especially given that your head coach is mandates two things. One, to create explosive plays on offense and prevent explosive plays on defense. Now, Wink Martindale will give up some explosive plays on defense. The trade-off is he may put the other quarterback in a hospital, right? Or he's going to make that quarterback look foolish at times with three rushers in the quarterback's face six or seven times a game. Um, But he will give up explosive plays. I don't know how Nick Sirianni would reconcile that, knowing that what we've seen him so far is he would rather play a bend-don't-break style of defense. So we have to see who the, the hire eventually is. I think it's smart to cast a wide net. I think the Eagles do that pretty much all the time when they're hiring from a head coach or a coordinator. Um, whether it's offense or defense, they always cast a wide net. They interview a wide range of people. But it always comes down to the hire and what message, uh, as you say, reading the TV is you can get from the actual person that they put in charge. Yeah. Um, you know, Frank Reich's name, I think, has been mentioned. Uh, you mentioned Jim Bob Cooter. I guess when you're hearing these names, does this tell you that Sirianni has more pull here, or is this Roseman's Rolodex? Nothing yet. I want to, you know, I, again, we're in the early stages of it. Want to see more names. Of, of course, Nick Sirianni and Howie Roseman are both reaching out, right? So Nick, if he's reaching out, he's going to reach out to guys that he knows. He trusts and wants to get more information on. So that's why you'll see those kind of names. But I have a feeling that we'll see more names and we'll hear more names uh, on Inside the Birds as we move forward and then be able to maybe frame it a little bit better than we can right now after the, just the first few. Yeah. Uh, is there something on Wednesday that you're looking forward to finding out or hearing? <laughs> Oh, man, well, there's this sort of reality of what you're going to hear and the expectation of what you'd like to hear. The reality is they're going to paint a very rosy picture. This was never, you know, a question of Nick coming back. It was only about 
what are we going to do to fix this thing going forward? You're never going to get the truth about the defensive coordinator change. You're never going to get – you're not going to get any of that. So I, I don't really have much expectation. Um, I, you definitely want to hear the powers that be Howie, I guess, talk about how he's going to fix the defense from a personnel standpoint, not just a coaching standpoint because that's a big issue too. Um, but I don't expect a whole – I don't expect anybody to come away thinking, ah – I now understand everything the Eagles did all year long. I, that, that we know is not going to happen. All right, uh, Jeff Mosher, we'll be keeping our eyes on that. A lot of names out there, and, of course, the Inside the Birds podcast, Football at Four. We're all over it here. When something happens, we'll have it for you here on Football at Four on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Mosher, appreciate it, bud. I feel like I disappointed you guys. Were you guys hoping to hear more, like like more exciting names or or that? No, yeah. I don't think. Like I'm actually surprised at the amount of names that have already kind of come out, and I'm more surprised. I don't know if I'm surprised or if the messaging is that they are willing to change the philosophy on both sides of the ball. I think that's what the these mm-hmm. names initially tell me. Like you said, you're right. Hey, mm-hmm. we need to see what happens. But if they hired Rivera, Caldwell, Wink Martindale, one of those names, that's a complete change in philosophy, right? Uh, it, it would be. And that's exactly why I say uh, we, we've seen this before. If you remember when the Eagles just interviewed for a head coaching three years ago, I mean, Lincoln Riley, if he had ever said, yes, I'll come in for an interview, he might have been – the number one candidate on the list. They were infatuated with him, and he's not the same as Nick Sirianni. And, um, then you know, they interviewed Glenn Schumann, the Georgia defensive coordinator, and then they wind up hiring Sean Desai, like a guy who'd been there and done that already, versus this hot college coordinator name. Remember the years ago when they interviewed Graham Harrell from USC for offensive coordinator? This, this is what they do. They send you mentally in a thousand different directions trying to figure out what direction they're going in. But then when they hire... You're like, oh, oh, okay, that guy. All right, that's not what I thought, you know. And so that's why it's really hard to react this early in the process. All right. Yep. We'll uh, keep an eye on that. You're right because the names out there, I think, are interesting. Like if uh, we were talking earlier to rank them, and you know, I think most Eagles fans listening right now, if we said Wink Martindale got hired, they'd probably be doing backflips because they know they're going to blitz 58 percent of the time, and that might be sufficient enough for some people. Ron Rivera, who's been a head coach, I don't know how exciting he is because his head coaching last his most recent stint did not go very well. Mike Caldwell, mm. eh, I don't know that he pushes the pile for anybody either. So these names that are out there, while a, a indication of a change in philosophy potentially, I don't know how exciting they really are. There you go. We'll see. We got a lot, we got probably a week or two more to talk about it. All right, man. We'll talk to you Wednesday. Take care, bro. Jeff Mosher, Inside the Birds podcast, insidethebirds.com, and it's brought to you by Bet365, whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary. Bet365. All right. I'll tell you what. Are you excited about Frank Wright? <laughs> no, dude. No. I'll say this. I think he's one of the most overrated coaches in Eagles history. Everyone was... There was a time there that he was the reason they won the Super Bowl. Well, from some fans, yeah. Right. I, well, I don't know if I believe that. When the team struggled the next year when he left exactly. to go coach uh, Indianapolis. Everyone was saying, Frank, Frank, we miss you. It had to be because of him. Yeah. I don't buy that. Do you? Does Frankie boy get you excited? Not necessarily. All right. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. 
We've got uh, Sound of the Day coming up. Which story is the best story left in the playoffs? Four teams, they've all got their own little niche. What's the best story in the playoffs? Coming up on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Gov. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, let's get into today's sound of the day, which will focus on what's the best story left in the NFL? What's the best playoff story? You got Detroit, San Francisco, Baltimore, Kansas City. They all have a story. What's the best one? And that starts off today's sound of the day. So, guys, let's get into couple of teams, specifically from First Take this morning on ESPN Television, and see if you guys agree with the, you guys mentioned it's a you know, political season, well the platforms handed out by, first of all, Dan Orlovsky, everyone knows where Dan Orlovsky is going to go with this, Detroit Lions, so I want you guys to grade Dan Orlovsky's Position? Do you buy into what he's giving you on his platform saying the Lions are the best story remaining in the postseason? This organization and this team have given this city something that it's desired or begged for forever. Pride and respect. I was there when we, it wasn't good. It was the economic downturn. We stunk as a football team. There was a lot of embarrassment. And this fan base has just stayed with it. The fact that they have an organization now that brings pride to them, a sense of respect, they're respected. They've won home playoff games. They have a head coach that people made fun of. They got a quarterback that people cast off. This is the best one for what it represents for a city that has desperately wanted it. He makes a great case. He lays out a lot there. But here's how I'll answer that. They've already accomplished that. They don't need to win the Super Bowl. They have the pride. They have the respect. They have the coach. The story is already great. Winning the Super Bowl would almost be too much too fast. No no such thing, MG. Winning the Super Bowl, I mean, you just made the case for me, right? It's the Lions because the story is already great. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if they win the Super Bowl? The story is... It's awesome. It's like the Eagles winning it. It's we saw that Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl season ticket holder who's been a season ticket holder since like 1912. Was that the game the other yeah, day? I, I, mean, I feel like the Lions have already accomplished something that their fans they did. You know, winning the Super Bowl, I'm not. It wouldn't be a bad story by any stretch of the imagination. It would be different good. from what the Eagles did, though. The Eagles had never won the Super Bowl, but they had been close, and they've had a ton of success. They just came up short. So, winning the Super Bowl was the the Lions have had no success, no playoffs, right. no wins, nothing. The fact that, that they now have better. two, but my, I, I guess what I'm saying is like, would it be a great story? It would be, but it's almost like. There should be more to this story. Like, they should have to kind of – they got this – They last year they went 9-8, and eight and they were like this the, – they they were on opening night this year, and everybody was wondering. And here they are. They went to the playoffs. They won two games. 
they still have more to the story that they can write. So you, so you want, yeah. Mike Gill wants a sequel. He doesn't want this to be the one and only. He wants there to be a sequel next year. Sequels, you know this, Josh. Sequels are never as good as the first. Right? Sometimes, sometimes not. I mean, it depends <laughs> on what franchise I, I'm talking about. Let me, let me just, <laughs> I just want to add this real quick, right? Because you talk about building up to it, and you're right. I, I agree with that, but the improbability to championships always make those championships so special. Why Why was the Eagles' Super Bowl victory so special? Because it was with a backup quarterback, right? No one's expecting the Lions to win this year on top of everything we've already outlined, right? So I just think that would be such an awesome sports story. I contend, and many people disagree with me on this. <laughs> you may. I, I don't know your position. Okay. I contend one of the things that hurt baseball was the curse of the Bambino getting broken, the curse of the Billy Goat, the Cubs. These downrotten teams, not downrotten, but teams like the lovable losers, the Cubs, when they finally won, the stories that we... Yeah, they're not there. They're gone. And baseball, I think, has been hurt by the fact that the Red Sox went from the curse of the Bambino mm-hmm. to the team that always wins. Yeah. And then the Cubs became the lovable losers, and then they won. And those stories, the chase for them is gone, yes. and that story is gone. I think the Lions story has been great, but would be even be better is if the chase continues and they get one. Hunter, I, I agree with that, right? But at some point, the chase has to come to an end. Yeah, it just doesn't have to be this year. I think there's a better story out there. <laughs> Which is All what? right. Well, with that being said, then, we'll give you position number two. Shannon Sharp, he is beating the gavel for the Baltimore Ravens. Shannon Sharp this morning on first take. His position is this. You remember when he came out? You should become a running back. You should be a wide receiver. 31 teams passed on him. It wasn't until Ozzie Newsom, in his last draft, traded back into the first round to select the man at 32. Guess what happened this offseason? They had a franchise tag on him. But about 15 teams said, we don't need Lamar Jackson. Given what he's been through, given all the doubt that, that was surrounding him, and here you are now on the cusp, about to win your second MVP, an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl, is Lamar Jackson a better story than the Lions franchise? I am endorsing the Ravens. The Ravens. But are you endorsing Lamar? Yeah. No. My, you're, my endorse, point, you're endorsing the story, just to be clear. All of it, yeah. I think the Lamar story is the better story. A guy that has he laid out. Nobody won it. You know that, by the way, they got that draft pick of Lamar Jackson by trading with the Eagles. That's correct. They traded with the Eagles and then traded up to draft Lamar Jackson. So Lamar has been basically, as he said, people said he should have been a running back and he shouldn't have been a player. And then he was the MVP a couple years ago. And then last year he's been hurt and they shouldn't sign him and they should let him go and all this stuff. And again, here's the most improbable guy to win the MVP. He's probably going to win it again. And if he wins the Super Bowl on top of that, the story of betting on yourself mm-hmm. is the one. He bets on himself. He says, I'm not going to have an agent. I want to be traded. He got the contract. He won it. And my mother's going to be my agent on top of that. My mom deserves a bit of a, uh, <laughs> a commission. Not on my contract, which isn't very good. His contract, much right. better than mine. Yeah. Yes. But uh, the Lamar story... 
would be, for me, the best one. Listen, no, Over the Lions. The Lions is cute. I'm not cute. looking for yeah. <laughs> cute. cute. My goodness, man. Don't ever go into Detroit. You're going to get hurt. You need a security team. My, Mike's painting the Lions out to be a Disney epic. I, I mean, it is. Listen, I, the, That's the, what it is. The Lions are the Disney movie. You're crazy. It's nice. <laughs> it's a cute story. All right. But the story is Lamar Jackson betting on himself and winning. If Mike, they win it's the a great story. It's a, listen, it is a great story. A ton of people have been critical on Lamar Jackson, including myself. I'm very critical on Lamar Jackson. I'd love to see him win it all. I tweeted it out the other day, and we all know, you know, he would be he would be just the fourth African-American quarterback to win the Super Bowl in the NFL history. So it would be meaningful, and everything that you just outlined, Gil, would obviously be meaningful. But they're also expected to get to the Super Bowl. They're 2-1 to one right now to win the Super Bowl. They are a favorite. I they're, will say I mean, that. They're, which, they're a favorite. So... Which, and they've won a Super Bowl in the past, so that but wasn't like Lamar. The story. That wasn't Lamar. It wasn't Lamar, right? No, but the overall story, the impact on the city, the impact on the franchise, right? It's not just about Lamar. I will say, I Sal Powell was on Friday, and I told Sal that I would be in Baltimore this weekend for my birthday. We are calling an audible on that because wow, you Omaha the Sal AFC Powell. Championship game is there, and I feel like the city will be a little crowded with people. There might be something that, so we're calling call. the audible on Baltimore this weekend. So, but that being said, Baltimore is a, is a town much like Philly that yearns for these type of things. Um, I think, though, the Lamar story is bigger than the Lions story. Hmm. Curious what the, what the listeners think out there, because I, I just think it's, it's Detroit. Now, do you feel that the other two teams, San Francisco or Kansas City, have any story that can that top it brock Why, purdy are we, are we uh, you know brock, yeah. Yeah, purdy brock Listen, purdy this, yeah yeah i mean the chiefs mahomes is has never not been in the afc title game we've all seen that already at, up to this point would this be their most impressive one yeah if he wins the super bowl again now he's entering all time he already is all time but i, I but now he's entering like brady montana yeah, category now right, you're Ryan? saying yeah exactly josh now you're saying this guy's going to surpass brady this guy is going to be one of the greatest stories in nfl history and san fran obviously with purdy that's a great story, too. So storylines are all over the I place. think we overlook the fact that Andy Reid has now been to the AFC Championship game six times. He has yeah. been to the AFC or the championship round 11 times. He's been there more than he got when he was in Philadelphia in Kansas City. Think about that. Yeah, he went to the NFC Championship game with the Eagles five times, five. four in a row. Yep. And now he has been with the Chiefs six straight times. He has actually had... Think about this. I mean, I know Eagles fans are like, duh, he never won the Super Bowl here. But his resume in Kansas City is significantly better. It's spotless. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the best resume. Well, they have a law. They did lose a Super Bowl. They well, did. Yeah, but the that's Tom the Brady. worst part. Yeah. But I'm saying his, his Kansas City resume has surpassed his Philly resume. You want to talk about, real quickly, the most underpaid person in sports? It's Andy Reid. He's only making ten mil a season. He should make a hundred mil a season. <laughs> it's it's crazy. Well, if you're like, there's some murmurs that he was thinking about retiring this weekend. I heard a little bit of that stuff. Why um, would you? What? But Andy Reid? Yeah. 
retiring this weekend? No, that, that after the season. Yeah, like it's, like, like it's this, if you were to be eliminated, yeah. Over the weekend, I was hearing, I, I, I think it was uh, Pro Football Talk that might have been hmm. saying that there was some thought that at the end of the year. Be stupid. Um, that, that he might think about. But regardless, like, if he, if he stopped coaching right now, he would have, what, three, two Super Bowls and the, how many of the Chiefs win? Two or three? Two? Two. Two. Yes. Yeah, two, right? That's what I thought. And then 11 championship game appearances. And if they go to the Super Bowl again this year, I mean, my God. What Even more? if they come up short, it'll be four Super Bowl appearances. Yeah. What more does he need to do? Nothing. Yeah, and his playoff record—he's like what, batting a thousand? Well, he's, he's got like eight hundred. He has the second most postseason wins all time. There you go. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm rooting for the Ravens. Really quick, where I think where the does story is nice, but who whose resume gets the greater boost if they win a championship? Is it Harbaugh or is it Reed? The greater boost because it's like, probably Harbaugh. Like, what does it boost him into then? Because now he has multiple, and now all of a sudden you got to put some serious respect yeah. on his name. Andy Reid has the respect. I mean, Harbaugh just by is, them getting to the AFC title this year is unbelievable. Harbaugh, I think, currently right now is kind of in the Mike McCarthy area where he's, you know, he's a good head coach. He's been solid, but he's got one Super Bowl. He wins a second. He immediately catapults himself in that Andy Reid tier. So I think it would be a bigger boost for Harbaugh, for sure, because he hasn't yeah. been to a Super Bowl in over a decade. And he deserves it. He is recognized, at least by his peers, as one of the better coaches in the sport. So, you know, that'd well, be Well, I would story. say that he also gets really like, – I don't think when you talk about the best head coaches that he's one of the first ones that you – throw out there and he should be and he's in the mix with all those guys he's been there forever but when you say who are some of the best coaches you're not like belichick reed harbaugh right yeah i agree would you be more excited if you had john harbaugh or jim harbaugh oh man i mean jim brings the the spice he brings the hot sauce you like it yeah he's the boss with the hot sauce like, I mean, are you are i don't you, know about that nice. though because john showed some pretty crazy dance moves after the game he did this week are you in the in the boat that the team that hires jim harbaugh yeah. is automatically like vaulted to super bowl contender Depends, depends on what team it is. Yeah, yeah situation. Exactly. But if, if he the has Chargers, the tools. Well, the yeah, two let's teams, assume the Chargers. The two teams he's talking to, the Chargers and the Falcons. I haven't heard any other team. Well, Falcons, I, you can't put them in the Super Bowl category until they get a QB. At least he's the Chargers not. have the QB. They just need a defense now. He'd be stupid to go to Atlanta. If he went to Atlanta and they signed Kirk Cousins, would you, would you, be, would you change? Would yes. you like that? Um, I would like that. I still don't think I'd put him in Super Bowl tier, but I would definitely consider him a playoff contender. If he goes to the Chargers, you say they're, they they have a strong possibility of winning a Super Bowl Both in the next five Both teams need years. work, too, though. Let's not sugarcoat that. Sure. The Falcons' defense needs a ton of work. We know their offense is set if they can get a guy leading it at mm. quarterback. Right, but that's just such a big question, right? Danny. You know, like, he has that guy if he goes to the Chargers. So they're set up for success, I think. Yeah, the Chargers have been the team that everybody thought should be a Super Bowl contender, as is, and that they thought the coach was a boob. <laughs> yeah, he was. He right? was, yeah. <laughs> so now you fired the coach, and you keep, you know. <laughs> I just don't know how you're a defensive coordinator. You come over, and the defense gets that much worse. <laughs> Only crazy. Brandon Staley. Come on, would man. You, would you, If the Eagles interviewed and hired Brandon Staley to be the D.C., how would you feel? Not great. I, I would mean, try. I would get some signs and stand up front of the NovaCare Center and say, fire Brandon Staley. Yeah, it might come to that. But, like, who knows? He was a good defensive coordinator, and then he gets hired well, as a head coach. Right. Some people can't take on that much responsibility. Oh, yeah. Like, 
Like, was he, he a good defensive coordinator, or was he just coaching a team that had Aaron Donald? I don't want to touch that dude with a 10-foot pole. Brandon well, it's Staley. funny you say that, because what did I say earlier, and you liked it? What did I like? Brandon Staley was the coordinator for the Rams. That's how he got the job. He designed the defense with Aaron Donald. The Eagles have Jalen Carter. Would you say Brandon Staley designed the defense for Aaron Donald, let him design a defense built around Jalen Carter? Nah, his stench is too strong right now. Well, he maybe didn't he design just it. needs to be the coordinator. He didn't design it. Wade Phillips said he picked up after Wade Phillips. Well, regardless, I mean, you know, you're running the, his version of it. It's not a Jeffrey Lurie splash. What about Wade Phillips? Would you hire Wade Phillips? Oh, yeah. 87 now? Why not? Got to get him out of the retirement home. I Wasn't don't know. he the head coach for like an XFL team? He was. Yes. He was like an XFL coach this past yeah. year. Not uh, even just the retirement home, the wheelchair at that point. 87. Yeah, man. Five o'clock Ooh. coming up on the other side. We got plenty more to go. One thought every game, Casey Joyner at 5.30 tonight. Stick around for that. We're at the gallery bar booking games, of course, throughout the football season here on a Monday in Atlantic City where... The Sixers tonight. You going to the game? <laughs> if it was seven thirty, I would strongly, uh, I would consider that, it. That extra half hour does help. Yeah, I mean, we're here till six o'clock. I mean, yeah, I have to spread right, right up, up the there. Expressway. I know. Uh, I don't know. You want to go? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> All right, then maybe. More sports bash on the way. This with Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Hi, 451 Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN. Sixers and Spurs tonight. You can hear the game on 97.3 ESPN. Joel Embiid is the Eastern Conference Player of the Week again. He'll face uh, Victor Wambanyama tonight. Do you think uh, Victor will be trying to defend Joel? Um, Yeah, not, not the whole game, but we're going to see. We'll see plenty of that head-to-head for sure. I imagine... Probably early on, and then if it's close in the second half, yeah, for sure. Uh, a couple Sixer nuggets today. One, uh, a report that uh, Malcolm Brogdon could be available. The Sixers could have interest there. Would he interest you at all? Yeah, absolutely, but it, it would depend on what it would cost. I'm not giving up the farm for Malcolm Brogdon, but, you know, if you can swindle a couple of pieces that aren't key rotational pieces and maybe a second-round draft pick, then... Yeah, I'm I'm interested. Yeah, um, the other one was KJ Martin, who they traded for, using him as mm-hmm. a piece to try to now. The report kind of said a second round pick. I love that because he's. Yeah, I, I'm sure the casuals are saying, "Who's KJ Martin?" He hasn't seen the floor at all, so you're able to get a a draft asset or a, a trade asset, draft capital. Then yeah, I think that's a great move. I guess the fans might say. You're not improving this team now. So I guess the question is, is it imperative for them to try to be more concerned about improving this team right now? Well, see, I would I would disagree. By the way, real quick, they are at the exact halfway point of the season tonight, 41 games. There you go. We're halfway there, living on a prayer. But I would say that's not the case. They are trying to improve this team with that trade. Because Daryl Morey would make that trade – with the hope of, okay, now I have more in my pocket to put into a bigger trade request. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. how, I mean, that's how I would look at it. I, I mean, I think I've seen you tweet a couple times that you're pretty, I don't want to say content, 
but you feel that this team does not need to make a move and no. that this team as constructed can win a title. 100%. I, I don't want to see a move just because you can make a move. This team has made a ton of in-season trades in recent years. The roster turnover has contributed to the issues this team has faced. This team is as deep as it's ever been. It has the shooting. It has the Robin alongside Embiid in Tyrese Maxey, who's an all-star. So it comes down to Joel Embiid. If he's healthy and if he can play this way, they're going to come out the East. So the other night, Stan Van Gunny got roasted for what he said about Embiid. Yeah. Was he off base? Like, I tweeted the other day. Like, people are ripping Van Gundy because he just, like, seemingly went in on Embiid. And I was like, well, not that he really said was off base. Is anything really false, right? Like, was it his tone that people had a problem well, with? Well, I like, think, like, he, he mentioned, like, uh, Tobias Harris is the third option. They already have the third option. And then he kind of went in on, like, they drove Brett Brown and Ben Simmons out of town. And then the way that he was talking yeah. about Embiid, a lot of people feel like, you know, he just was trying to take unnecessary shots at Embiid. Except for I was like, this is the same thing that Sixers say say about Embiid every year in the playoffs is that he's not dependable in the playoffs exactly right you can be a little bit extra aggressive or unnecessarily mean and aggressive but the reality is Joel Embiid it's fair to criticize him he's been unavailable and he's been disappointing in big moments yeah and his point was if you have this Embiid the guy scoring 30 plus a night Mm -hmm. you can win and I agree if you have this Embiid you can win the problem is they've never never had this one never had it never had it you know I don't we're going to find out this year that's part of the reason I'd like to see him stay put I want to learn if Joel Embiid's healthy can he do it yeah um and that's another thing. Like, if a trade involves Marcus Morris, Nick Fatoon, one of those got t- Covington, the three guys they got in that trade, are you adverse to moving any of them? No, I, I don't. I do not want to move Batum. I do not want to move Morris. I'd move Rocco. Yeah, Rocco, well, he's been hurt, too. Yeah. So he seems to be of the three, would move. Batum. He's too valuable. Seems to be a good piece and a good fit on this team. Yes. Sixers and Spurs tonight. And by the way, the Spurs are one of the worst teams in the entire NBA. The Sixers have feasted on bad teams. Is that a sign of a good team? We got more coming up on the other side. Jersey, this is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, Here's Mike Gill. Five o'clock hour, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, live at the gallery, bar, book, and games here in Atlantic City. Mike Gill, Ryan Rothstein, to the top of the hour. A lot of discussion about Nick Sirianni. He's going to stay. He's going to talk uh, Wednesday with Howie Roseman. Did the Eagles make the right decision? Are they handling this the right way? And do you like the names that have been reported? Ron Rivera, Wink Martindale, Mike Caldwell. Jim Bob Cooter on the offensive side of the ball. Strong name, if nothing else. Big name game. I mean, the biggest. Him and Wink. I asked the question earlier in the show, and you guys can chime in, 609-403-0973 on our text board. We'll read and react. Should we be giving the Eagles, as an organization, the benefit of the doubt with how they do their coaching searches and make their decisions? They hired Andy Reid. And fired. (laughs) 
I think a lot of the people listening, by the way, hindsight 2020, I think people wanted Andy gone. I think they were time. It was 100%. ready. They were ready for it. So I don't think people should be critical that the Eagles decided, because quite frankly, it felt like Andy's time was done, that his voice was getting stale. He had the son, you know, pr- yeah. problem with his son and all that stuff. And it just seemed like a breakup was needed. 100%. And he got a new start. And by the way, he added to his Philly resume and bettered it. So they found Andy Reid. And then they replaced him with Chip Kelly. And the Chip Kelly thing did not go well in the end, but they took a chance. They did something that was approved by everybody. Everybody was excited in Chip we trust. And by the way, Chip won 10 games two seasons in a row before it all kind of fell apart. And it wasn't more that Chip was a awful coach. He was just not a... He was an awful coach. Well, he became predictable, and he didn't have another gear. Well, but he was also yeah. kind of a jerk. That well, that's what I'm. That's what I'm referring to. Forget the X's and O's, right? Because he won ten games in spite of that. A back few to times. back years. Yeah. So, but as a head coach, you need to be more. You need to be more than that. And he didn't have I mean, another gear. No, right? he, he was not. He was a disaster for that locker room. And guess what, though? I give Lori credit for acknowledging that and breaking the ties as fast as he did. Because he could have said, look, we won 10 games two years in a row. We went 7-9. and nine. I'm going to give him another chance. No, he said, you know what? This guy's a bad guy. He's not good for our culture. we got to get him out of here. Well, but that, and, and I respect them for the same reasons you do for moving on from him. But you also just... I've brought this up a few times when talking about Chip Kelly. He's that ex that ruined you. Because now I feel like they're so micromanaging on the coaches that they're just, that was such a toxic toxic relationship because they sort of gave him the keys to the car. Chip. <laughs> right. You know what, though? And he drove it into a cliff. You know what, though? It was Lori kind of trying to expand his horizons and getting burned by it exactly and saying i'll never do that again right so that that could be the problem with that hire because then you say okay you hit a home run with dougie p but then why is he not here why is doug peterson not here do you though look back at the peterson thing and say they completely bundled it like do you understand the team struggled? They looked terrible in doing so. They had a really bad year. They asked for changes, and Doug said no. No, I, I can't. I can't leave it as that simple. I cannot. I, I look at what happened with Doug Peterson, and I say he got the short end of the stick. We we mentioned earlier, Sean Desai got the short end of the stick. Okay, if Shawnee Boy got the short end, then what did Doug Peterson get? Doug Peterson was never given any responsibility that a Super Bowl winning head coach should get. Is that fair or foul? It's reportedly fair that uh, that he they basically said you need to fire some of these guys if you want to stay. Okay, so I don't know how you measure that whole era under Doug Peterson, but I look at it as how do you think the last year under Peterson went? As far as what, just how everything transpired? Yeah, that last season under Peterson, they were terrible. They won four games. They were a dumpster. Yes, they were a big dumpster. Okay, but, yeah. so did the ownership and Jeffrey Lurie, or excuse me, and Howie Roseman, mm-hmm. was it within their right to say, Doug, that was an unacceptable product. We feel we need to make some changes. No, 
because he brought you your first Super Bowl. That's never been done in the history of the sport okay, to fire so, someone like that. We all knew the Carson Wentz situation was toxic for the locker room. That's not Doug Peterson's fault. If we're giving Nick Sirianni another chance, you give the guy that brought you the Lombardi with a backup quarterback well, another another chance, a longer leash. All right, well, Earl, they were giving him another chance. He made the decision that he didn't want the chance. They said, we don't no, want you to leave. There were stipulations attached, though. I agree. I agree. No question. And but they he, shouldn't have been attached, but he, Mike. They didn't want him to leave. He chose to leave. Do now we know that for sure, though? I, I don't believe that, and maybe I'm wrong. But well, I, earlier today, you had said that the six games of Sirianni were so bad, and I agree that it was worth a potential firing yes. over the amount of success that he has had. Yes, 100%. So Doug actually had a bigger resume of stink. Six. Well, he also had a bigger resume of success. Yes, he did. He won He won the game that Sirianni lost. There you go. I mean, it's really that simple, is it not? Um, sure. It, it I mean, can you can say that Doug Peterson won the Super Bowl, Nick Sirianni got to the Super Bowl and lost, and therefore is Doug significantly better of a coach than Nick Sirianni is? I think we know who Doug Peterson is. And, and listen, the bottom line is Doug Peterson got the short end of the stick, in my opinion. He wins the Super Bowl. You shouldn't fire him that quickly. We'll, we'll never know how it would have panned out with yeah, Doug. I mean, Maybe it was the right call. I, I think the conversation right now in this moment that we're having it, Doug did not have a great year this year. Uh, he had a good year last year. He got them to the playoffs, and they were the surprise team last year. Sure. They got to the playoffs. Doug turned around a stinky organization that had the Urban Meyer and turned it into a playoff team. Now, this year, they had expectations and fell on their face. Mm-hmm. They, they were did. eight and three and lost five of the last six and did not make the playoffs. So, I mean, there is some precedence to say, okay, he won that Super Bowl, but is he that guy? We don't know, right? I think the point is we should have found out. He should have stayed here another few years for us to find out, but it didn't happen. The bigger point of this conversation, Mike and Danny and Josh, is the track record of front office and ownership. You get rid of Doug too soon. Now you bring in Nick Sirianni, and now we have this we have this situation on our hands where you decide to keep him. You have to fire everyone around him. This is a huge moment in time for this franchise. It is, and I think, you know, the last time they went to this situation, they reportedly, you know, had the conversation with Doug. Doug, we don't want you to leave. You know, this happened the last time. Doug had his end-of-year presser. And then got fired. Yeah. So do we think that Sirianni is safe just because he's having the presser? That's a great point. No. Based off recent history, anything can happen. But that goes to my bigger point of we shouldn't just assume and fully trust in Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie to write this ship. Because they've shown us some inconsistencies with how they go about this process. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's where I go back to. Regardless of what and how they're handling this. Do they deserve the benefit of the doubt based on the success that the team has had with them running it? Regardless, if they made a mistake hiring Doug, it's not like they fired Doug and then the team became a disaster. They went from 4-12, and 12, I guess, his last year, yeah. to the playoffs the next year. Mm-hmm. And then to the Super Bowl. I can't sit here and guarantee that Doug Peterson was going to get them back to the playoffs and then win a Super Bowl and then be in the Super Bowl again, uh, the playoffs again. So my point is they won the Super Bowl, and that's amazing. 
But to anticipate that you were going to win another Super Bowl or get back to one because Doug Peterson, when you're your coach, I can't say that they really made that big of a mistake in getting rid of him based on what they've done without him. But here's the problem. This is where I think they can get in their own way. I could come back with that and say maybe they won in spite of the coaching change and the coaching turnover. Right, maybe Howie Roseman put together the greatest roster in franchise history and they couldn't even get it done. You lose in the Super Bowl to Mahomes and Big Red. It's so now Right, listen, but that's just the reality. You could have won in spite of Nick Sirianni. You could have. Could have had that success is what I'm saying. Yeah, but guess what? There's no way to know that. They they got to a Super Bowl with Nick Sirianni and Shane Steichen and John Gannon. They were all a part of that. Now those guys are gone. And that's essentially what was happening with Peterson was he had his guys. They went to the Super Bowl, Frank Reich, um, and who was the coordinator? Uh, Schwartz. Uh, Schwartz. Yeah. And those guys were gone. Now he had new guys, and it wasn't as successful. And then he didn't want to give up on the guys that had less success than the Super Bowl team. And then the team said, look, eh, we didn't like the way we saw. Similar to this team. You went to the Super Bowl with your guys. The next year, you lost your guys, and we didn't really like what it looked like. You need to make changes. But Nick said, I'm willing to make the changes. Doug said, I'm not willing. Right, but that doesn't mean that Doug was wrong. I, that could just mean Doug has some some stones, and Doug has some respect for himself. I mean, to be quite frank with you, and look, you bring up the coordinator thing, and that's an excellent key point in all this, Gil. By the way, I'm not knocking Peterson for standing up for himself. I know. I'm, I not, know. I'm not saying that. Like, he had every right. I want a Super Bowl. I don't want to listen to what you're telling me to do. I have no problem with that. And I also don't look at Sirianni as some schlepperock because he decided to stick his tail between his legs. I think Sirianni was cognizant enough to say, I don't have... I want to keep my job. I want to keep my job, and I don't think I'm getting another opportunity right off the bat. I'm young. I got this kind of fast. I need more growing, and maybe they can help me. And Where yeah. Peterson looked at it and said, I've won a Super Bowl already. I'll I need get some, another I need job. some respect, yeah. And, yeah, he wasn't afraid of getting another job and going out into the market. You're right. But this is all speculation. How do they handle it behind the scenes when they have new coordinators? Right, because Doug Peterson, I think, had his hands tied behind his back from management, from Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie. And that was the whole disconnect, and that's why he left Philly. And because of the new young coordinators in that transition phase. Now you look at Nick Sirianni, similar phase, and they botched it once again because management is micromanaging the head coach. Like that, that, and it's speculation, but you could see how it could add up. Sure. That, that's my concern. Yeah. That's my concern. I, and I look at it, look, and that's just because they, they've, they've made decisions in the past that have worked out doesn't mean it's always going to work out. They don't always hire the right guy. They hired Chip Kelly. That turned out not to be great, although it worked for a little while until it just did it. I think they have a pretty good track record. And another thing, as I said earlier, you know, there's a reason why teams around the league come to them for front office executives. And then, like right now, Alex Hallaby is up for a GM job. Have you ever heard of him? No, nobody has. Yeah, And and he's a guy who he gets elevated to assistant GM. Why? Because someone took their assistant GM the year before and the year before that. And and they just constantly keep getting these guys. Like how many executives around the league are running teams that came from the Eagles? 
And that doesn't mean that they always get it right, but it, it kind of shows that like people look at the Eagles, and I think don't don't look at them as a team that gets it wrong. They look at them as a team that gets it right. Where I think in our bubble where we are, the fans look at it as they are too meddling and they get it wrong. But there's two different parts. There's roster management and roster construction and co- the coach, the coaching hiring and firing process. Right? I think Howie is the best in the NFL at building a roster right now. And roster management and configuration and personnel and drafting. Well, and I bet you a lot contracts. of people, I bet you a lot of people listening right now don't agree. I know they don't, but you look at go look at the track record in the past four years, what he's done with this roster. It's been unbelievable. But you can be excellent there, but you could fall short with the coaching aspect of it. Is that fair to say? You can be great at building a roster. It doesn't mean you're great at managing your head coach. And how you build your coaching staff. Why do you think that the Eagles have so many assistants and coordinators that get poached from them? Because they're they're one of the most successful franchises over the past 25 years. There you go. Right, but like we said earlier, but Andy about- Reid was there here for 14 of those 20 years. So is it the Andy Reid tree or is it the Jeffrey Lurie tree? Well, there's a little bit of everything. I mean, Andy, a lot of his guys got poached, and they're still in the league. I mean, Sean McDermott, Jim Har- uh, John Harbaugh. Um, there's others, you know, that have been in and out of the league. Leslie Frazier is, I think, out right now, but he was recently at. Ron Rivera is off the, the Reid tree. Um, so there's a lot of them around. You know, Shermer had some head coaching jobs. And He's Doug now. Peterson's off the Reid tree. Peterson as well. So... Um, Mike Kafka, who's in New York, you got the enemy, you know. So yeah, Reed's got a lot. Uh, Peterson, Frank Reich is off the Peterson kind of yeah. tree, I guess. Although he, Reich had worked in uh, San Diego before that. Yeah. Um, so Sirianni, I mean, you got Steichen out there, you've got Gannon out there. So he's only been here. This will be his fourth year, and he's already had two coordinators plucked off of his tree. He did, right? So do you credit Sirianni for that, or do you credit the organization? I think it goes, again, it goes back to giving the organization some benefit of the doubt that, yeah, they might make unpopular decisions. Like, for instance, player personnel-wise, in the growing up during the Reed era, if you hit 30 years old, you got cut. Mm-hmm. And it was unpopular at times, but guess what? That's you how cut they Hugh, you, cut it, you cut Hugh Douglas, he went to Jacksonville, and wasn't the same player. You cut Jeremiah Trotter, and he went to Washington, and he wasn't the same player. Yeah, they never gave anyone a third contract. No, and they never kept the guy, regardless of how successful they were and how sentimental it might have been. They mm-hmm. just said, you're not the same player, you're gone. Now, that's changed. it backfired on them when they released Dawkins, because Dawkins still could play. Yep. But for the most part, Brian Westbrook, no, nah, we're not going to give you the counter. He went to San Francisco, and he was out of gas. Sure. So they stuck to that, and you're right. They've made some decisions that I think have been too sentimental. Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Jason Kelsey, which I don't disagree with Kelsey. I'm just putting it out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Things have changed. So they have made some tweaks and change for good and or bad, but I think for the most part, we tend to say, well, they haven't won, they've only won one Super Bowl, and therefore they make the wrong decisions. I think you gotta just say, look, everybody's trying to win the Super Bowl. If you are not the team that wins the Super Bowl at the end, doesn't mean your organization's run poorly. Sure. 100% agree. But the context of how this season ended is the story. It's not a factor. It is the story. 
right? And if we can't answer, can you answer this question? Is Nick Sirianni a legitimate good NFL head coach? Um, <laughs> it's a good question. It's fair, and I don't know the answer to the question. Well, there you go. That's enough said. Pending again, review. I feel like we are in this, like, we've always, because he doesn't call the place. That is where it is hard to quantify what he means to the team's success. Why, though? We know guys that are uh, uh, uberly successful that don't call the plays in the NFL. Really, Harbaugh. Harbaugh's the one guy that you know just doesn't call the plays. He's kind of – but most, like, if you name a good – like Sean McVay, Mm -hmm. he calls the plays. Yeah. Uh, Shanahan. He calls their plays. Yeah. Most of the teams, like you know, Dan Campbell, he does not call their plays. There you go. He is a CEO coach, and people might say, well, what does Dan Campbell do that's so great? You can't quantify what he does, but it's he, obviously something. He manages his staff. Up. He has a vision. He's able to break it down. He's able to organize it. He has a game plan. He's able to communicate that plan. And he's able to manage his staff appropriately and accordingly. That's a big deal. Well, there and it's was, not easy. There was a time where it appeared that Sirianni was very capable of doing that. Yes, and now we don't know because you have now if you, take, if you take Ben Johnson off of the Lions next year, and that team all of a sudden looks like clunky on offense. Uh-huh. And Aaron Glenn, by the way, their defensive coordinator, who might get a head coaching job. If those two guys are gone, and Campbell's there, and the team all of a sudden doesn't look so good, are we going to say? Maybe Campbell isn't the leader we thought he was. I'm sure people will say that, but I wouldn't because I think I've I've seen enough from Campbell. And there's always that transition phase with new coordinators. But the problem but that this seems year to be where Sirianni is in the transition of the new coordinators. Not yeah, but they were ten and one. Well, I, I so that's it. the problem. We all knew this roster was good enough. So what went wrong? And you have to point to the leader. That and that is the the part of this that is so difficult is that they were ten and one. They got off to a good start, and people did think this was a good team. And now all of a sudden, because they lost these six games, and people are saying, "Well, the offense was a mess, and the defense was a mess, and you fired your coordinator." But another underlining part of all this is, you think they need a lot of changes personnel, talent wise, too. <sighs> On paper, they're a top. Three to five team in the in the NFL, the Eagles. I don't think that's out out of bounds. I mean, Is I it? Mean, you're going to need two new linebackers, probably two new safeties. You probably need at least two corners. You think they need two corners? Well, I mean, Matt, Maddox, I think, is done, and you probably have to replace Bradbury, even if you keep Slay. Okay. So you probably need two new corners, two new safeties, two new linebackers. And I would imagine Fletcher Cox is going to get a deal someplace else for more money that the Eagles just can't justify. So you're going to need to find another tackle. You probably need another end to at least rotate with Sweat because I think you found out you can't play Sweat as much as you did. I would say their their defensive line is top ten on paper. Just their D-line. They're up front, the big boys. And fine, even if everything you're saying is true. Their offense is top should be top three to five, and I think I'm conservative with that. The, the offense I don't have as much of an issue with why it's which is why it's so perplexing that it was never this offense that was like man this offense is unstoppable. So it's like are we wrong about how we're evaluating the talent they had? Yeah, that's that's where you start to question everything like we are. But on paper, 
if Jalen's the MVP we think he is, they should be a top two to five offense in this league. Well, I'll go back to what you said in the first hour then. Maybe we're just assuming that Hurts is the same and that he's not. Right. I think it's fair to question Jalen Hurts. I don't want to be the one doing it, but I have to throw it out there. We looked at this the other day. They had almost identical numbers offensively. Yards, rushing yards, passing yards, um, yards per game, points per game as last year. Almost everything across the board was almost identical. To the Super Bowl year. Yeah. Yeah. Make that make sense. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it. Neither. Uh, Coming up, one thought every game. What did we see this weekend, and how does it set up for the championship round? Find out. Casey Joyner from The Athletic joins us next on the Sports Bash on 97.3. Yes. We have the traffic. You come with me. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, Casey Jordan's here for One Thought Every Game. He's brought to you by Frank Vincent Windows, Siding and Doors. Make your home look new again. One Thought Every Game. Only four games this weekend, but we'll get Casey Joyner's thoughts on that and a couple other things as he joins us now here on a Sports Bash Monday. Championship weekend is here. And, Casey, we got one thought every game. I will start with, we talked uh, the other day when you were on, Casey, um, looks like Nick Sirianni is going to remain, but it looks like uh, some veteran coordinators' names out there. Wink Martindale, Mike Caldwell, Ron Rivera, couple others any of those names uh jump off the page at you uh as a coordinator uh all of them could jump off the page uh i think whoever you get needs to be a good teacher because the eagles need to get younger and then the eagles need to get a lot of younger players and so you don't want somebody who needs veteran players you want somebody who can really establish something with you i would love it if they would go i doubt that they would do it or they could but i'd love that they went to go michigan and got jesse minter what he's a phenomenal defensive coordinator. He could do what McDonald is doing for the Ravens. He's in that same family, and I'd love to see them do something like that because he'd be a young guy who could teach the players if they could do that. But uh, if they get a bet, as long as, said, as long as he's developing young players, because that's more important. As good of a coach as you get, you need to make sure you're starting to go youth on that side of the ball because you need speed and you need uh, some other talents because you're they were they ran out of gas late in the year. They were interested in Minter last year. He was one of the names that, uh, that was on their list. He ended up going. Also, uh, Jim Leonard from Wisconsin yep. was on the list. He ended up getting sick or something. So there was some interesting names last year. We'll see if some of them resurface. Uh, Jim Bob Cooter, Frank Reich have been some of the names on the offensive side of the ball. Do you like any of those offenses with Jalen Hurts? <laughs> I like them if they're going to try and uh, they need to be able to Run the ball first. I think uh, Cooter's offense could do it. I think that I think Reich. You look at what Reich. I mean, they they had the old run the damn ball uh, uh, meme that got started. That started. Uh, you know, he's in uh, Indianapolis and things and had the backs. I'd like to see if he could come up there and say, "Hey, that's what we're going to do." And do, hey, look, look what we've got in the, the playoffs right now. We've got run centric teams. Kansas City's more run centric this year, and they've been Baltimore and San Francisco definitely run centric teams. Detroit ran from one hundred yards in all but four games this year. So I mean, it's. That's what gets you there, and the Eagles need to get back to that. And if they hired Reich, he could do that because he's a very good coordinator. I don't think you make him a head coach anymore, but he's a very good coordinator, and I think he could uh, tailor some things that would work very well both for the ground game and develop Hurts, and you could make him into more of a 
what some of these other teams are, where the quarterback is a counterpuncher rather than the, the, the driving force. All right, Casey Joyner, one thought every game. Uh, let's start on the Saturday. Texans hung in there, but too much Ravens. Uh, and, and you saw the Texans go 10-10. They get the punt return. They just couldn't get the offense going. They couldn't, and I think it's a situation where they ran out of gas too, and they they took so many injuries, and they they had done so many things. They they turned their back into they turned Singletary into kind of a bell cow back late in the year. So it's a situation where yeah, Houston's going to feel bad about having lost, but at the same time, if you look at who they were and where they are, it's like hey, you got as far as probably as you were going to get. It's a great start for your team, but Baltimore it also shows. Baltimore, it's 10, 10 at halftime. They don't get rattled at all, and that home crowd just went nuts. And then the second half, they just put their foot on the floor. That's what's scary about them is that you're going to have to play four quarters because they've got the depth to do it. And uh, some of the teams right now in the playoffs might be challenged like that. One thought every game, Packers, Niners, fun game. They're in it. I uh, love just trying to make something happen. Purdy makes some big throws. Like, they didn't have a great game, but made the plays when he had to. He did, but if Savage returns that interception, that one that he dropped, that, that's a pick six if he does that. Purdy had at least three and maybe as many as four plays where I, I used to have this metric called bad decision rate that measured how often a quarterback makes mistakes, that makes mental errors that lead to turnover opportunities. I stopped tracking it because the league, everybody in the league started to get down to Tom Brady-esque levels of like 1%, and it just wasn't clear that there was, uh, you know, the differentiators anymore. But Purdy right now, if he were, <laughs> he would be leading the league in the wrong way in that metric because that's what he does. He takes too many risks, and if he does it against the Lions, it'll cost him. And if he gets to the Super Bowl against the Chiefs or the Ravens, it'll cost him. He's got to not make mistakes because he's got to win against the Packers, but he keeps doing that and it's going to cost the Niners. One thought every game, Bucks and Lions, obviously uh, a fun game here, back and forth but the Lions take control of the game in the third and kind of pull away, um, and now the Lions going to the NSG Championship game. The thing is, the Bucks <clears throat> they threw for 300 plus yards I think uh, Mayfield had got he was like nearly 350 if I remember 337 if memory serves correct, but uh, the he, they needed to be able to get into that kind of game because Detroit doesn't do well. They're now uh, they're going to be five and three now. We count this game in games where they allow three hundred or more passing yards. They have a lot better record when they give up fewer than that. And if you get higher than that, they get even worse. Point is that you got to be able to throw against them. The Bucks, I know they've got Evans and they got Godwin and they got Otten and they got Mayfield. It's a good passing game. It's not a great passing game. San Francisco has to make it a great passing game if things go well. So Detroit's going to have to uh, shore that up, and Detroit needs to lean on their ground game to protect their rushing attack. They really didn't do that enough yesterday, and when they finally did, it worked for them. But also, hey, making plays on defense, and they do, you know, Melifano a couple weeks. Melifano had a great game, and then uh, Barnes makes his – that's only his second interception his entire college or pro career. Eight seasons, only the second time the guy's made a pick, and what a great time <laughs> to do it. Uh, one thought every game, Chiefs-Bills, another great one, back and forth they go. Um, and the Bills just couldn't get over the hump again. I think there's a lot of people that say, you know, Bass cost them, but how many people think that Mahomes would have got the ball back and probably gone back down and scored? But, you know, the Bills, to me, was interesting because one of the reasons I haven't been a Bills fan, I said before the season, I think their window was closed, but the reason they had a shot yesterday was they ran the ball. Like, they were running... And then Allen, of course, makes the big mistake, and, you know, Kansas City goes on. But another fun game between those two. But, again, Buffalo goes home. Buffalo goes home. It's it's hard to do. It, it was a 47-yard field goal. You've got a 44, hard 44. 44. Okay, 44. It's still it's, it's not, a, not a short field goal. you got the wind going on. That he's trying to hit it into the wind. 
that's a tough kick for anybody. I wouldn't want Justin Tucker to have to try that kick, and he might be the best kicker of all time. I, it'd be tough for him to make that. I'm not saying he wouldn't, but can't hold the two already. It's not like he's not like Norwood, where Norwood just you know wasn't good enough to make the kick. It, this that's a different situation. But yeah, Buffalo. Hey, I feel bad for them in the sense that how many injuries can you get before they built a really deep team and they're still getting down to like the last guys on their roster because they're just getting that banged up and got to give them credit. But Kansas City, Kansas City won the ball too. And that's one thing they're going to need to lean on too is they need to lean on the ground game because they just don't have it that much in the passing game. But got to give them credit for that and getting that road win. But uh, that's a situation where the Bills, I think if the Bills are a fully healthy team, they win that. But you know, you just you, know, you get this many injuries this time of year, it's really hard to overcome. Well, uh, are the Bills is this done for them? They have another run in them. I mean, how many times can this group keep coming up short? Um, it depends. If they start to get self doubt, once the players doubt that they can get over the hump, once you get that into your mind of what they say about coaches, the minute the players don't think that you have the answers to the questions, you got to go. I don't know that that's the case with the Bills right now, but you got to think organizationally. They got to think, hey, we don't have it. But as Joe Burrow said, as long as I'm the quarterback of the Bengals, we've got a Super Bowl window. As long as Josh Allen's there, you've got a Super Bowl window. And you got to put a team around him, and they have. But uh, I think that's a big thing how McDermott handles this situation because if he can't convince his team we're not snake, but we'll be able to fight through this, he's got, he's got to be like Marv Levy was after losing the first couple of Super Bowls. Marv still got his team to play very hard. If McDermott can do that, that's there. But if McDermott can't, they may have to make a change just because. The, the team is finally going to think, hey, we, uh, the team from both uh, the front office, maybe down to the players, might think we're yeah. just snake bit. And if you can't get over that, you're done. Yeah, that Allen Diggs combination, you know, you wonder how many more chances they've got it. I mean, Allen's obviously not going anywhere, but uh, that franchise, it kind of felt like a moment yesterday that was, I mean, they finally got the home game and they lose that game, and now they'll have to wait. Best story left in the playoffs for you, Casey Joyner. It, it, it's probably either the Lions or Lamar Jackson. Uh, if you have another one, but which is the best story remaining? Yeah, I think it would be. I think it would be the Lions. I grew up in Michigan. Got a lot of uh, friends still. Uh, if they're not living up there, they still have connections. I think, but all the people I know who live up in Michigan, it is. I was around when the Titan, the 84 Tigers lived up there when the 84 Tigers won. Uh, even down here when the Orlando Magic, I live in Orlando now, when the Orlando Magic went to the, to the championship, all that, people still remember Nick Anderson, all that. It's that kind of a moment for Detroit right now. It's that kind of a, this is a, you feel like it's a once in a lifetime moment. And I think the team understands that too. I'm not saying they're going to win. But this isn't like the last time they went to the conference championship they played Washington. You kind of knew they were going to lose because that Washington team is one of the 10 best of all time. That's not the case for this team. This is a winnable game. I give them like a 4 and 10 chance win of this game. So, uh, and I think they just feel like they could be a team of destiny. And it's, uh, at least to get to the Super Bowl, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a fun situation. I think it's got to be the best story, especially if you got Aiden Hutchinson playing well and he's a Michigan guy. So. All right, the uh, Lions, of course, will play the Niners. You can hear that game on 97.3 ESPN, and it will be Chiefs and Ravens. That'll be the uh, early game. The NFC game is the late game. You can hear them both on 97.3 ESPN. Casey Joyner's back with one thought every game on Thursday, and we'll take a look at those matchups and more here on the Sports Pass. Thank you, bud. Appreciate it, guys. Casey Joyner from The Athletic, brought to you by Frank Vincent, Windows, Sidings, and Doors. Make your home look new again. This hour of the Sports Bash here on 97.3 ESPN. Don't forget, we're live at the Ocean Gallery Bar, Book, and Games. And the Sports Bash today, this hour, brought to you by 
Broadley's Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Broadley's your trusted source for heating and plumbing service installation for generations. Call them at 609-390-3907 or online at broadleys.net. When we come back, all right, we got a lot. We've been The text board has been kind of blowing up throughout the day. We never really got to many of the texts just because there's been so much stuff going on. Sixers tonight. By the way, I watched both Flyers game this weekend and was disappointed by both. <laughs> well, yeah, they they lost both. They lost both yesterday. They're up 2 nothing against the worst team in the East and coughed the game up. And Danny Ryan shows up with the Flyers after that. They won, they won five in a row prior to that. I mean, you know, every team's going to come down from that mountain, but Fly Guys are hot, baby. Twert's got them right. Can't lose that Danny's game Danny's not a bandwagon man. fan, though. He's no. going to rock with that hat through the good times and the yeah, bad. You know, he the got band- it when they won five in a row. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, come on. This was had way before the Flyer season But you never began. put it on. Oh, I wore it. I wore it. Oh, okay, I've never and seen listen, it, though. That's that cool. that thing costs some coins, so it's not like he's just recklessly... Solid two to three bucks from Walmart. <laughs> Dad got it on the clearance rack. It's a nice hat. I'll say for like Solid three bucks. Hat. You can't beat this. A little trucker hat. You Orange know? trucker. Yeah, a little gray, gray off color. Front. I yeah. like the gray off yeah, color. I, I, yeah. I, like, I love a Saturday... A, I love a, uh, a flyer matinee. Oh, it's legendary. At home, like 12, 1 o'clock. Yeah, 1 o'clock, yeah. sitting on the couch, a little... little uh, matinee hockey game. They're great to go to in person, too. I need oh, to get to one. My soon. favorite Me thing too. to do is the flyer matinee, sit and watch Ooh. the changeover, and do the Sixer game double at 730. Dip. Yeah, the double dip there is legendary at the center. It really right, we'll, is. We'll wrap up the show on the other side. Text board is open right now, 609-403-0973. Mike and Ryan, we're live at the Gallery Bar Booking Games at Ocean Casino Resort. It's the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, we're getting ready to wrap things up here at the uh, Gallery Bar Book and Games, Ocean Casino Resort. Mike and Ryan, on-site producer Danny Ryan. Josh has game night coming up next. Sixers and Spurs tonight. A lot of Sixers out tonight there. No Mo Bamba. No Beverly. No Morris, no Springer. They got him beat, though. He he can't miss more than seven of the final 41. You think he's going to cross that threshold? Good question, you know, to qualify for For MVP. uh, MVP. Yes. So he has to play in 34 of the final 41. I mean, as long as he's healthy. Right. I was surprised. They had back-to-backs twice in the last, like, stretch of games. Yeah. He played in all four games. That's why. He's trying to... Trying to get as close to that mark to do it again. I do, and I think Nick Nurse is, wants to help him out. And Bede said, "I just want to win and stay healthy in the playoffs." I think he does a little bit, uh, but obviously, like Mike said, he just has to stay healthy. If he gets another injury, he's not going to try and play through the injury just to get MVP. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I think you're right that he's not going to play just to get MVP. Yeah, I do think last year was the perfect thing for him that he won the MVP, and yeah. then Jokic won the title. So it's like. I got the MVP over you, and then Jokic says, so what, dude? I won the title. And now Embiid can say, I, I got that one, and I don't care about that anymore. Now I want that other one. Jokic winning the title, I think, was the thing to unlock the best of Embiid. Like he's not going to care as much this year to get to that 65 Yeah, because I legitimately threshold. think he really cared about winning that MVP. Absolutely. More yeah. than winning a title almost. I don't know about that. now that he's got the MVP and saw Jokic win it, I think he now 
understands that that means more. I would hate to see him playing in a meaningless game down the stretch, like the second to last game. He needs one more game, and they're already locked into the two seed. Yeah. You, you see where I'm going. And he gets hurt. Yeah. You know, like that would be, can't even imagine. I agree. Like, don't. Don't force it. If you are locked into a spot, you need to get him to the playoffs healthy. Yeah, he should more not, than not trying play. to get him to win. Because have you? Um, there has been some like nights where they've left him out there to try to get this like thirty and ten. Yeah, the thirty and ten streak. Yeah, Stupid. I, I think he's playing. Well, un- that broke. It's now just a thirty point streak. That's still yes, alive. but there were nights where they were kept him out there to try to get extra rebound. Yes. Like, and I know his minutes are down because they keep <laughs> taking him out. But there are times where they're playing guys, and you're like, uh, well, what are these guys out here for? Yeah, I, I do trust Nick Nurse, though. And he's done an excellent job of just mixing and matching, but it just comes down to Embiid. Like we said briefly earlier, like we're saying now, if he's healthy, they got a shot. Yeah, no question. And I think the Maxi thing's going to be interesting. Like, regular season is one thing. Yep. How they defend him in a seven-game series in the playoffs. Can he win them a big playoff game? Can he make the adjustments when teams adjust to him? Yeah. You know, playing Wednesday night against Memphis is different. It's, it's, a, it's a lot different. Embiid's getting double teamed. It's game six or seven. You need a bucket from someone. Yep. It's been maxi all, all year during the regular season, so can he translate that? Yep. Um, all right. That's tonight. Spurs, Sixers. It's a bad Spurs team. Yeah. So bad. They don't pass him the ball. They don't pass Victor the ball. No. Well, the, the amount of clips that I've seen where he's wide open on a cut and they're just going anywhere else. So they've they've discussed this. Pop does not want to make him the centerpiece of this offense. He should be. He's their best player. But he doesn't want to put too much pressure on him early in his career. Yeah. It's well, like, dude. He's having like Jeremy, however you pronounce his last name, too, Jeremy Sochan or Soyan bringing up the ball as a power forward. Like, he's shooting with one hand at the free throw line. What's going on in San Antonio? They're tanking, man. They got to trust the Clearly. process. Clearly. again. Get him some talent. I Around mean, him. they need a first pick. Speaking of Jokic, man of the Philadelphia people going to McGillan's after his game here last week. How about Solid. that? I was there just a few nights prior. I missed him. Yeah. yeah. Did he sit in the same stool? I was... <laughs> I was right at that spot in the bar, I will say. I said, hey, this Danny Ryan sat here, yeah. Nicola. Yeah. That is cool he went there. Did you hand him yeah. your Flyers cap? <laughs> I thought it was Photoshop for a second. No. No, I did not have my Flyers cap on. It was after a Flyers game. I forget which one. Well, was it the night that they played the Sixers? No. The Flyers? No. <laughs> they played the, the Sixers? Oh. Sixers yeah. play the Nuggets, what, Saturday? Yeah, in Denver. Yeah. see the exact date. Embiid hasn't played... In Denver since like 2018 or 2019, I think it is. Well, he's got to play this week. I know that much. Is it a back-to-back? Saturday at 5.30 is not a back-to-back. They'll play Thursday in Indiana, and the next game is that Saturday in Denver. We should get the rematch on Saturday night. No football tonight. Yeah, it's weird. First uh, Monday night without football since what, like August? Maybe July? No, they're... uh, well, the last week of the year, there was no Monday night game, right? Maybe. All right. Never mind. Yeah, that about do it for us. Uh, that Lions win over the Buccaneers, it was NBC's most watched game since 1994. It averaged over 40 million viewers. Because it's the best story, Mike Gill.
That was NBC's most watched game. I didn't see the ratings for the other games yet. All right. Me either. Uh, all right. That's it for us. Thanks to everybody here, as always, at Ocean Casino Resort in Atlantic City. Make sure you make it a uh, weekend or something to come on out here. Check out one of the great restaurants, one of the bars, the gallery right here, bar booking games. We're back here Monday. We're not leaving the, the ocean quite yet. So come on out here and see us on a Monday. Danny Ryan, our on-site producer. We're Ryan. I'm Mike. Josh Henning has gate night coming up next, leading you into the Sixers and the Spurs right here on 97.3 ESPN.